All right, let me hop into the wolf den. Anyway, glad to be here. Thanks for getting us all together. Yeah, Hello, man. everybody. Hello. Hello. Okay, so, so we now know that that lecture fan is not Rob's Rob's wife. We know that for sure. So we've got. <laughs> I don't know what that joke is. Well, someone was trying to to crash the the, the Discord, uh, saying that they were Rob's wife. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that was before you got here. I was hoping it was you, but now we know it's not. So, hey Rob, if you're not using Discord for anything, you can turn your camera off in Discord. Might help a little bit with your bandwidth. Oh yeah, yeah, great, great boy. Okay, but yeah, I just like I I don't know that much about the three of you, and even Internax too, other than just like what politics are. I really just am trying to get to know people. I like arguing politics, and that stuff is always fun. But I'm trying to get to know people. You know what I mean? So, like, how did you come to being a conservative? You know, like, what's your background? And I guess I'll kind of start off like this, right? So, um, I w my dad was in the Army. So I started off kindergarten through third grade uh, down in an elementary school in Hinesville, Georgia, around Fort Stewart, right? And then when my dad got out of the army, we moved back to where, where I was born in the mountains of North Carolina. Uh, from sixth grade until I graduated, I was in band. Uh, eighth grade until I graduated was a marching band, right? So I played concert drums, tiffany's, xylophones, you know, like all your different kinds, right? March with fucking snare drums, bass drums, tenors, you know, did all that shit. When I graduated, uh, got to play in some pretty big arenas too. That was a lot of fun. But... When I graduated, went into the Navy, uh, July 2001, graduated boot camp September 13th, 2001, um, got out of the Navy in September of 2010, and then I started driving trucks. Uh, first, I was hauling refrigerated freight, um, and then I started hauling cars. So those, uh, those ones that you see that's got like 9, 10 cars on the truck, that's what I did. I uh, did that for a while. I worked uh, maintenance maintenance jobs and air conditioning and plumbing and all that kind of stuff. And uh, along the way, I've just always loved history and uh, always been doing a lot of study of history on my own. And because I've kind of kept to myself over the years. Uh, and I'm finding now is probably a great time after I've real, you know, had to come to the realization in, in this last year. That I have PTSD and I've been getting help with the VA for that so me reaching out and talking to other people and and trying to build a community here right is is really therapeutic for me so that's kind of where I'm at with it but I just wanted to get the opportunity to get to know you guys because uh, I like all of you and I definitely defend y'all on these on these these panels you know what I mean so <laughs> <laughs> what was the yeah I don't you don't feel don't feel the necessity to defend me. Uh, that, that's fine. I know how it is uh, on these panels and kind of the ad homs and things like that. So it don't get me down. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess my background is I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. I basically lived in a thirty mile radius my entire life. My family was broke, but we had enough to you know get by. I didn't miss many meals, as people could see. Um, I <laughs> I have 
two brothers and a sister. My youngest sister, my sister's the youngest. She's 20 years younger than me. So I, now I just had a kid January 9th. I kind of got to be a like a grandpa first because the idea of being Wait, a grandparent you said she's is 20 years younger than you. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so like, you know, being a grandparent, you get to do all the fun stuff with kids. They're like, back there. That's why I was an older brother. Like, you know, some 20 years older than my sister. So it's like, hey, we go out and have fun. Oh, now you have something that's a pain. Yep. Go back to mom and dad. So kind of maybe prepared me. It, it spoiled me from now being a parent where it's like, oh, yeah, you don't get to just, <laughs> you get all the unfun stuff too. But now I'm really happy to be a new dad. Politics wise, yeah, congrats, um, I didn't care way. about That's politics so awesome, at all. Man. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, it's the happiest moment of my life. Really puts the politics stuff in perspective because I think the country, like in many ways, it's going in a direction that's horrible. But at the same time, I'm happier than I've ever been. So um, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling. Um, I was never interested in politics growing up. Um, I played football. I re wrestled for a while. Um, I was on the chess club. I did show choir. I just did everything in high school. And, uh, you know, then I got into college and I took a debate class. And I liked it. I did estate. And after four or five years, I got really good at that. And I national tournament, which is basically like the NCAA basketball tournament. The top 72 teams in the country go. Um, but each school is allowed to send three teams. So I do believe I was part of the first ever state school, at least in Pennsylvania, to make it to that tournament. And um, I started to despise what the debate community was while I was there. It is the left. I mean, it was in 2004, the community, it was stuff we're just now seeing, right? Reject whiteness. That was at least once a tournament you'd walk into a round. You're white. You should forfeit. You don't deserve to live. You should you know, forfeit this round to show solidarity with people of color. You're a man. You don't deserve to live. You should forfeit to show solidarity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I would have considered myself at the time moderately conservative just because I was basically apolitical. Um, and I, that made me an extreme lunatic on the right for that community. Um, so what I tried to do my best was to try to reach out to people like that and to show that the people I love that I came from, that, you know, many of which barely graduated high school, they're mechanics, they're bartenders, they're carpenters, they're welders, that those people matter and that they're a big part of this country and they're the people I respect most. And that um, they deserve to have a voice too. And so that's basically why I started my channel because I just feel that um, I don't begrudge people, whether you be in a black matter, whether you be in an LGBT advocacy group, I don't have a problem with that. Like people are gonna advocate for where they think voices are needed. I don't see the voices for rural America. I don't see it. I don't right. see it in the entertainment industry. I don't see it in the media. I don't see it in academia. It's nowhere. And in fact, not only is it nowhere, it's, it's the opposite. They're disparaged. These people were treated like crap. You know, Rick Wilson uh, of the Lincoln Project, he used to be on CNN all the time. He called Trump, called people in my area of life 10 toothed rubes that wanted to stop the brown horde from coming into the country that weren't capable of reading a map. And this stuff gets laughs on CNN. It's not funny. It's garbage. And I'm tired of kind of this disparaging attitude from the people that I think are some of the greatest people in this country. People that are living off 10, 11 bucks an hour. And they're not complaining. They just want the government of their life and yet constantly they're infringed upon they're treated like garbage so that's that's where i come from uh, i also like joking around and stuff um you know um i feel that i do have a tendency to get um 
combative, but I don't look at it that way. Uh, I like arguing. That's why I join debate. So I don't have a problem until it breaks down to ad homo text. But yeah, in general, that's that's what I do. Uh, and I, you know, I think that I try to have a populist message. A conserv- I would call myself a conservative populist. That I think that um, you know this system's so corrupt that until we end the corruption, the actual issues that we're discussing, like. For example, like the Supreme Court business, how many conservatives did I talk to that were like, you know, if we just get, you know, three justices, if we just get three justices, everything will start to get better. And look what happens to it. You know, you know, where where was Bett and Kavanaugh? I don't know. So I, that's what I try to. We need to change this system. And, uh, you know, that's, well, let that's me ask you I, this. Let me ask you this. And then I want to just kick it down to the lecture fan. And this goes to everybody, right? What if the there was no like say guidelines, federal guidelines for anything, and that if corporations wanted to like if businesses were going to grow to the sizes of corporations, that they would have to be in compliance with each state's laws in order to be able to do business there. That would cause a natural retraction as far as the the power of corporations because then they couldn't just say, Oh, well I'm federally good, I don't have to worry about some of this other stuff. I don't know what is that just kind of like way too out there or can no, you kind well, of see what I'm all, saying corporations you can have small corporations you, a corporation can be big or small and corporations are are regulated at the state level they're created by state statute and so there's something called like the model corporation act or the model business act the, there's model acts that you know the conference of state legislatures put out and then all these state legislatures pass these model acts that so basically so even though they're state law most states have very very similar same law but you know there's a if if one of the enforcement tools that the government has against corporations is dissolution and so if a corporation if a corporation does something that's illegal and does it bad enough they can be dissolved by the government the government can dissolve a corporation if they you know violate laws enough um so there well, and that's they, exactly what i was to me, I think that there's this demonization of corporate. Look, I certainly have a lot of problems with corporate influence in our system of governance, um, unelected bureaucrats, wealthy people that are really the people that are running the show. However, that doesn't mean everyone involved in a corporation is bad. Corporations have done very good things as well. The The problem is we don't enforce the laws that are already on. It's it's very similar to the gun debate, CTV, right? We have these laws on the book, regardless of what you think of them. And instead of enforcing them, people are like, well, we need more laws. It's the same with with corporate America. Like, oftentimes, we don't enforce the... It sounds like like, there's a breakdown of morality then. Well, I mean, it's... We've let our system... I mean, if, if, like... I ran across the same situation like whenever I was out working for a car hauling company, right? Now, because they had had some vehicles stolen off of their truck, um, they decided they want to put a guideline in place saying that they were going to require the drivers to maintain possession of the keys to the vehicles that they had on their truck at all times, right? However, if I followed that guideline directly to the letter... Right, uh, that would have me breaking the FMCSR or the Federal Motor Carrier's Safety Regulations Manual, which you have to follow. Right, and anytime that I'm doing any work in the employee of the motor carrier, 
I'm required to log that as on-duty time. If you're going to require me to keep these keys on my person at all times, even whenever I'm off the truck, then guess what? I can't ever log any off-duty time. So when I present them with this very idea and I ask them, hey, do you want me to also... Like, are, are you telling me that if I'm parking the truck for a 34-hour reset, do you want me to take these keys to my home? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, well, I can't do that. Ultimately, uh, because I wouldn't sign the paperwork, I got fired, right? Because I wouldn't volunteer to break the law. So there's just like that that side of it. And then the other side of it is that we have people that go into the government to work, and they understand what the law is, but because they might be buddy-buddy with somebody, they might not look as closely as they might at somebody else. You know, so break down the morality. If you have, like, a code of conduct or a code of ethics, that should remain constant, and it shouldn't just be, oh, well, you know, such and such, this and that, when it comes to the law. You know what I mean? Or am I just... I, I get you, but the, the problem is the law is not designed to to take morality into effect, right? Like, like if law is cold, right? But it's necessary. So it's, for example, we as us four could sit here and we could watch two people steal things. First person that steals something, uh, they stole, you know, a bunch of electronic equipment because they're just greedy. The second person that stole things stole something to feed their family. Us four might say, if we were in charge of things, might say, let's give that second person a pass. We understand. But we can't have a legal system set up that way. The legal system has to have clearly defined uh, limits. It, it says this is what's legal and this is what's not. Well, you Sometimes could, things you, that are illegal. You could have that system. And like Seattle, Seattle actually is, uh, I, they either t passed it or they're trying to. But Seattle passed a system where saying uh saying you're starving or saying like something like that is a defense to a crime so you could have you could have Dude. stuff like that seattle i think seattle has actually either done it or is trying it hmm. yeah I'm, I'm, it'll be a disaster because people take advantage seattle's laws was that they were trying to make it so that if you were in like a certain tax bracket or made a certain amount of year they would literally give you leeway to breaking certain laws because i mean it's kind of like saying well like they didn't know any better or they were desperate enough to that was the last i remember reading about it i'm gonna talk to my friend journey started he's the one that's keeps me up to date on all the fun things happening in washington and he i know he was the one that shared that that article with me um and I, I don't know, I, it, it might seem moral on the surface, but I don't, I don't really see anything moral about trying to give somebody a pass because they're poor and don't know any better. It, it, that, that seems... No, of course not. It, Dem it's, Democrats, it's are, beyond. Democrats are doing the same thing with illegal immigration, too. They're like, they want to give all the illegal immigrants a pass because it's an emotional story that somebody is trying to make a better life for their family. And it's like, look, I... It's. I agree. It, it's an emotional story. If somebody wants to make life better for their family, it's totally understandable. But I agree with Rob that it, it's a disaster when you start having a system based on that. I. I. I mean, yeah. I, I would take issue with the other thing Rob said, which is that our laws are not, you know, meant to be moral or something. I think all of our laws, at their basis, uh, the reason that we made them into laws is because. 
that's what we think is moral. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't support a law if you thought that the law was immoral. Yeah, right, right. But what I'm saying is, we don't. Once the law is set, we don't factor in the. Once the law is set, we don't factor in morality, right? We 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 don't say you can with sentencing guidelines. And I know you've given examples of when of the it judge. goes the opposite way, like Seattle. Right, right. When you're talking about Seattle or illegal immigration, but it becomes a disaster. I mean, Merrick right. Garland today said that he views what happened at the Capitol as a coup, but he does not view the riots that attacked federal buildings in the summer that was Black Lives Matter and Antifa. He doesn't believe that was a coup. Why? Because it was nighttime. <laughs> So the when they station in courthouses went home. That's like, not what he said. Is it really? Oh my god. Like Japan, did you hear this? Right, right? No, I didn't I didn't hear that, but I'm not surprised. I, I think I've been I've been railing against the idea that, that what happened to January sixth was a coup or an insurrection. It, it's just so preposterous. Right. It's, it's Democrats just changing the just mm -hmm. changing words and you know, twisting words definitions to things that they aren't. Uh, just to fit you their mean, own narrative. And wait, just like Trump fan. didn't incite anything either. Lecture fan, you're telling me that the old grandma walking around the Capitol building in between like the uh, the red velvet rope, that that person wasn't performing a coup of the United States government? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and then, and then saying, saying it's an armed insurrection when nobody had guns. I mean, it's just the whole yeah. messaging around it has been so preposterous and they're acting like it's a nine 11. Like if you didn't know any better, you would have think that there was thousands and thousands of dead bodies after that. But of course there wasn't. Right. I, I, and ironically enough, if they had like, let's say that 250,000 people did go to Washington DC to perform a coup and on purpose brought firearms, they would have successfully cooed the government. Right. <laughs> like, the government was not going to fall. Like, to think that the government just about, we just about got overthrown, guys. Oh, my gosh. They just about overthrew the U.S. government. So stupid. But the, so the, here's the, the quote only comparison of that I want to make when it comes to, like, Black Lives Matter and then the, the, the January 6th incident is that you know, politicians had no problem with the riots until they started coming down their streets, right? That's when they said, well, this rioting is, rioting is enough of uh, uh, Mayor Lightfoot, I think, was the one that had, you know, blocked off, like, the street to her house in case the rioting for Black Lives Matter got so bad. And I think it's the same theme when it comes to what happened on the 6th. They really only give a shit if it's their lives possibly in danger that's when they start to pretend to care and it hits a, hit a little too close to home um so that i mean i don't i, mean, I don't think if, true, if it but... was an empty building i don't think they would have given a fuck they only care because it was them at risk you know because ted I, cruz I tried disagree. to kill aoc i do disagree with that they they can't that's really true but they would have cared even if it was an empty building because it was republican because it was Trump support. That's all this was. It was, uh, look, anyone with anyone that has any foresight, whatever, what happens if you tell one over and over, you could go out and use violence and property destruction, $2 billion in property destruction we saw in the riots that occurred in the spring and summer. Uh, depending on the numbers you look at, anywhere from 27 to 57 people dead as a result of these riots. The own numbers from the Princeton study that 
the Black Lives Matter defenders use says 7% of their rallies yeah. resulted in violence. That's 223 <laughs> unique locations. That doesn't count riot or the amount of times that violence occurred, just the locations. So somewhere like Portland that had 90 days, that only counts as one. And they I mean, didn't how many care. They made excuses. How many deaths that's did, not, did you that's say? That's not terrorism. That's not terrorism, by the way. They refuse to count that as terrorism. No, it's not. It's insane. Right. It's said 27 to 57 are the oh, numbers. 27 to 57. Okay. I've been curious about yeah. that. I didn't it depends know that that's on, what it was. Yeah, that's the numbers I've seen. And I try to give the lowest and the best thing just so. But um, what? what uh, Internex, what, what I sent you the. Uh, Internex, I sent you the uh, the link to the whereby, buddy. He wants if to you want to jump in here. I have to go put on clothes. Bro, put on a hoodie, right? Well, I have a shirt on. It's just, I'm in my underwear. I mean, all right, all right. Give me a sec. Give me a sec. Say his underwear. But, uh, no, I'm, it's my house. This is the first night that the Wolfston uh, whereby is being used, right? So you want to be a part of this moment. You know what I mean? This is a moment. But, um, but yeah, just to finish. Uh, so what happens when you tell one side it's okay to riot? Inevitably, the, the, here's the truth about extremists. They're extremists on every political ideology. I, my favorite politician was Ron Paul. There were extremists, Ron Paul supporters. They're extremists, Romney supporters. They're extremists, Bernie supporters. There might be more extremist Bernies, but there's nutbags capable of doing something on all political sides. If you constantly tell one side that's riding over and over, it's okay. Inevitably, the other side's going to be like, okay, we'll play that game too. Right. And that's what happened. And so the Democrat, the establishment, it's not just the Democrats, but they set the dominoes up saying inevitably something will, someone will do stupid. And when they do, when a Trump supporter does something stupid, we're going to strike and we're going to say, oh, we need 25,000 troops. This was an insurrection. We need a 9-11 style commission. Mitch McConnell went to Trump and was basically like, guess what, buddy? You're out now. You're going to basically walk out with, between your legs or we're going to convict you in the Senate of impeachment. This was all designed. So yeah, there is certainly part of it that's they didn't want to be personally attacked. They're fearful of that. But there's also part of they set these dominoes up. This is what they wanted to happen, right? Yeah. They, they wanted a Rittenhouse situation. They wanted the McClowskis to defend themselves. So they could say they accuse you of exactly what they are. They say that you're the terrorist, you're the violent one. Well, they excused this violence directed at you you and people like you all spring and summer. And when yeah. someone predictably reacts, they say, oh, let's not leave this crisis go to waste. Let's start enacting all the authoritarian garbage that we had planned for them in the first place. All right. So lecture fan, bro, welcome to the Wolf's Den, right? Glad you're here tonight. Uh, look, I've got to see, we've obviously done some panels together, right? We obviously, we, we do, obviously, just like Rob and Internax, right? We do great together as a team. But I don't know much about the guy. You know, I've seen you, I've obviously been by your stream a few times, right? Seen you flying some planes, seen you playing a, a big-ass RPG, or not RG, a big-ass RTS, right? Yeah. Uh, but, like, bro, like, what who's what is it to know? Who's the man behind the beard? Yeah, who's the man behind the beard? There we go. Dude, I am, I'm like, I am your just, your typical small town montanan like i grew up in a small town in montana you know riding bikes around the neighborhood you know uh you know just hang it was a honestly it was i feel so blessed to have had the child childhood i had in growing up in small town uh small town montana where yeah. it was you know man it was such an awesome community all my friends lived in the neighborhood we had a you know a bmx track down at the 
park. We'd go down there in the in the winter. There'd be an ice skating rink at the park, and I mean, it was like you know, completely safe town. Almost everybody in town was conservative. Everybody went to the same church. It was like a true community. Um, and so I, I, and you know, I had two loving parents. I feel really lucky to have had both parents, you know, in the house. And I, we we had family dinners every night. Um, you know, eating dinner around the dinner table, saying prayers before dinner. I mean, just just i feel so lucky to have had that kind of a childhood didn't have a tv did not have a tv in the house growing up my parents would not allow television in the house and frankly it's one of the reasons i attribute to you know the success i had in school is because we i we did not have a tv growing up and when we did find when we did finally get a tv when i was i think maybe in high school or something maybe junior high um, we would only then bring the TV out for things like the Olympics or something like that. So, um, it was a, you know, it was a oh, quite, wow. a, quite a different growing up. Um, and so, you know, then, never you the know, winter Olympics cause the winter Olympics right. sucks. So my, my friends that did have like a NES Nintendo entertainment system. Oh my God. I'd love to go over to my friend's house and play Nintendo. Like, and my parents hated game consoles. Wouldn't let me have a game console. Maybe that's one of the reasons I'm like so addicted to gaming still to this day is because I was like deprived of gaming when I was young. Hmm. But uh, no, I grew up talking politics with my dad too every night. Like I attribute a lot of my politics interest to the conversations me and my dad had growing up over the kitchen table and, um, you know, every dinner at night talking about politics. And then, you know, I, I, uh, I ran for student body president my senior year of high school and won and was student body president, which doesn't say much look the, it was a very small town it was a very small high school it's not some big accomplishment but that was like kind of kind of i i guess got me interested in politics it was a you know it was a race it was just a lot of fun and um and then i studied politics in college and then went to law school originally because i wanted to be in politics and i realized man so many people in politics have law degrees um, and so many politicians have law degrees my original intent on going to law school was to actually um, make it in politics. But then something happened when I was in law school, which is the 2012 election where I, I was actually very like, man, that hit me emotionally pretty hard. The 2012 election. Cause I actually thought Mitt Romney had a chance. It was obviously he didn't, you look back on it, like he'd never had a prayer, <laughs> but I was like so invested in it. And I was young, you know, I was young. Oh. I hadn't like emotionally matured really. I wouldn't say compared to like even the Donald Trump loss, um, the Donald Trump loss, even though it was like in terms of for the country and the impact is so much worse. Um, it didn't impact me in the same way emotionally because I think because I'm older and, um, you know, kind of lived through that experience. But then I also saw a lot of Republicans sort of not um, being true believers and not staying true to their beliefs. And it was everybody I knew in politics was just there to expand their own power and make money and. Um, and so I just got really kind of soured on politics after that and then uh, ultimately and then started practicing law and really enjoyed it and stuff. So that's why um, I do it. But, you know, look, I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh, too, with my dad. And if you look at my Twitch profile, which I, I wrote in 2014, maybe 2015 is when I first started doing politics on Twitch. I put in there AM talk radio as one of the things that inspired me. And so, um, you know, after I kind of gave up on politics after 2012, after basically uh, being obsessed with it my whole life, then like, you know, started practicing law and then sort of learned about Twitch and stuff. And it was like, man, this is such like a great opportunity. I could have like my own little AM talk radio show and I could play games at the same time. 
I still think that I'm the first one to ever do a, a, a politics-focused stream. Obviously, Destiny was talking politics on Twitch way before I was, but um, he was always a gamer first, gamer first, politics second. Um, I was like politics first, sort of gaming just on the side. Um, always wanted to have my own talk radio show, and I realized, wow, Twitch is like a way I could actually have um, kind of my own talk show. And so started streaming on Twitch, and... I just love it, man. The Twitch, the Twitch politics scene has come so far from where it was in 2015. Um, it's awesome. So, except for the fact that you know it's a bunch of communists who are like evil uh, and toxic as hell. But other than that, it's fine. <laughs> Dude, they are literally the Jeez. worst. Type of, this this website attracts the worst people. It's I mean, horrible. that's why I left. It's horrible. That's why I went to YouTube. <laughs> yeah, no, it's bad. Yeah. Uh, weirdly you enough, I was they on bother, Look, I like the Crime Royale, like the, the amount of mental gymnastics just to be able to, like, have, like, some semblance of fun is is crazy, They're right? They're so boring. They're like, all like, oh, okay, it's supposed to be, like, that specific thing is a, you know, battle royale. It's supposed to be fight to the death. And they're sitting there like, oh, well, uh, if you see here on, on paragraph four, subsection B of the DOS copy towel, uh, you could see Karl Marx. Who cares? Shut up. No, you know what? They, they expose themselves as being extremists and totally out of touch with America because me and my positions, you know, are not too far off from what Rob believes or CTV or maybe Endernax and madman but um at least for me personally like the way that they react they're just shocked that somebody could believe what i what i believe and i'm like why are you guys why are but you surprised not, there's like a hundred hundred million all, americans you know because it's they're all just a show they're consumed but they're consumed no I, I i i honestly think that they actually madman, have no idea that there's a hundred million americans that feel like me madman what were you saying oh that it's just a show you know what I mean? It's just they want to be like, oh my god, you said abortion is murder? Like, wait, you're pro life? I'm oh convinced my they. Like, I'm convinced they really. I'm convinced they really don't know that there's a hundred million Americans out there that think and feel exactly like all of us do. Well, then you can blame Twitter and you can blame Facebook for that because they shut other opinions. That's true. Up. Right. They can't That's true. Hear other people's perspectives. Right. They and don't then even you, yeah. think we're real people. And then That's you come on Twitch and it's you communist. Guys, my viewers. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot. Look, I see this all the time. People talk about privilege and stuff. I don't mind having these conversations. You want to know what real conservative privilege, real privilege I have? It's being a conservative. Because... I've had to fight for my beliefs and people pushing back against my beliefs ever since I started saying them, right? And that actually is a privilege because you learn to have thick skin. You learn to be able to defend your ideas. You understand that there are people that disagree with you. People aren't just going to go, oh, my God, you're right. Everything you say is so special. These panels make me laugh. So, look, I'm just going to say something. This isn't going to be popular with a lot of people. It's going to make me sound arrogant. Some of these people in some of these panels have no clue what they're talking about. But they're saying the right things. They're repeating the things that they've heard other popular people say. And so it's like, yay, high fives. They've never had anyone in their life tell them, like, well, defend that position. 
You know, not everyone thinks that way, right? They went through K through 12 school where they're basically, everybody agrees with this sort of left-wing establishment narrative. Then they went to college where everyone agrees with that. Then they watch their entertainment where all of the entertainers agree with that. Then they go to Twitch and they go to Twitter and they go to Facebook and everybody's agreeing with them there. And they lose sight of the fact, like you said, lecture fan, there are millions of people like, no, no, that's not how we think. And they're incapable of having a serious, not everyone, there's some good, don't give me but many of them are incapable. They're just incredulous. How dare you disagree with them? You must be a horrible person. That's all they could come up with. It's laughable to me. It, it's funny because actually, so when I, I was into politics, like maybe barely like the anti-SJW stuff before I was 18, but I didn't really get into politics until I was 18. And it was uh, Bernie Sanders who got me into politics. And it was the only reason that I have different political opinions than whatever the DNC or the progressive wing of the party would have just shoved down my throat because I really was ignorant of basically every political tenet, any arguments. Like I thought genuinely that conservatives were just racist. The only reason any of that happened was because um, one of my friend, one of my best friends, freshman year, uh, I I called him a racist. I don't even remember why. He makes fun of me all the time for it now. I don't remember why I called him a racist. I I can't imagine. I'm like you're not racist. Like obviously not. But he he pushed back on me because he was a conservative and he just pushed back. He was like, you're an idiot. Like, and here's the 10 reasons why. And I had no idea how to answer him. And that was what started me on my journey, you know, where I started watching Ben Shapiro, Steven Crowder, all these different types of media personalities and just introducing new ideas to my diet. I got addicted to Jordan B. Peterson and, and Joe Rogan and all these different things. And um, I mean, that was what five years ago now, but I would. That's what they are. They they're me when I was a freshman in college. They never got past calling the conservative racist because they never actually heard a pushback. They were with their liberal friends, and they all said, "Yeah, conservatives are racist." Yeah, and I'm it's not like a lot of I'm the conversations. The- that's like a lot of the conversations I've had with them over the the last few months, right? Like we started talking about climate change, right? And then I'm like, well, I said, how serious are you trying to take this thing? Why don't we build reactors on the African continent and then start following that water into the Sahara Desert to make a new rainforest? And they're like, what the hell are you even talking about? And it's like, well, I don't know. How big are you thinking, right? Are you just trying to control it here at the, the local level and then like create all these EPA guidelines for X, Y, and Z reasons? Are they actually having the effect? You know, like, or, so are you just trying to control us here or are you really trying to come together as an entire planetary society, right? I don't know. Like, and they just, they don't know what to do with that. Right. And like, and again, I, let me be quite clear for anyone listening. I'm not saying everyone on the left, I'm not saying every left wing streamer on Twitch, but I'm just saying a large portion of what I see. Uh, not just on Twitch or YouTube, but also with people that control the narrative on the left is the abdication of personal responsibility, right? So I will talk to people, you know, I, I saw Internex, you debated Vosh. I, did, I was on a panel with Vosh and um, him and Mike from PA, and they're just yelling at me, uh, you know, climate change. You're a science denier. You're, there's a consensus. There's a consensus. I'm like, okay, what's the consensus? Let, let's hear it. What's the consensus? Well, you know, the climate's changing. I'm like, I agree. There's a consensus. <laughs> humans are contributing. Yep, I agree. That's a consensus. Okay, go further. That's it. That's the end of the consensus. Can either of you that apparently think this is one of the biggest issues in the world tell me how much we have to reduce emissions by what time in order to stave off these horrible impacts? And they have no clue. They're Googling, right? Mm-hmm. If this is your premier issue. But anyways, it goes back and forth, back and forth. And Vosh says this. He says, 
I would have no problem giving up 99% of my income to fight climate change. And I'm like, okay, do it. And he, he's like, like, you know, only if the government made me. And I'm like, this, this in a nutshell. I, only I bring saw it up. that. Yeah, you yeah. caught his ass in on that nutshell, one. It doesn't make sense because what constantly what they're suggesting is they shouldn't have to abide by the own moral justifications and rules that they want everyone else to abide by. So that's why you can see, you know, we see all of these people embracing lockdowns. They're unwilling to do them themselves. We see them embracing climate change. You know, your light bulbs are the problem as they fly on private jets. And you can see it with these streamers, too, where, you know, <laughs> you have socialist streamers talking about the evils of capitalism selling their T-shirts, raking in big bucks and things like that. And I'm a girl. I lost Rob. Pay you by all means, but it it just it blew the disconnect. Uh, these people that will more like someone saying to me, "You're wrong." I have no problem with, but someone saying like, "I'm a better person than you because of my political beliefs." Well, then you better you better be able to back that up with your actions, not just your words. And I see that that's to me is the fundamental disconnect where I see with so many people when I'll be streaming, it always devolves into I'm a shitty person and they're a good person, and I don't no. see. Any evidence two, for that? Two leftists in my entire life who have actually been consistent in their moral values. And the reason I know this is because they run a solidarity, quote unquote, solidarity collective household company. I don't even know what that means. But basically, they have like a house and they have 10 different people living there. It's like styled like a commune. They have their own like podcast and businesses and all these different things. And they all share each other's wealth. That's the only time I've ever run into a leftist who lived their values. Every other time, it's just these LARPers on the internet who probably live in their parent or lived in their parents' basement for a very long time had never worked. Like maybe they worked at Starbucks and became disgruntled because they weren't getting paid $20 an hour at Starbucks. Like there's legitimate reasons to be a little miffed in life. Like, oh, maybe, you know, sure. there was like a, a former pathway to a manufacturing jobs that let that led to a middle-class lifestyle that's gone now because of globalization and, and shitty trade deal. Like I, I could understand being a little miffed about that but the, the answer is from there is not that's why we need authoritarian communism across the planet right no, ctv had someone on his channel i won't name this person but ctv know, will know exactly what i'm talking about and this person was saying that um they didn't want to uh legalize drugs across the board because then he would fall back into his heroin addiction and that he had that was pretty much like his only reason not for um doing this drug was because it is currently illegal and it devolved into this really weird abstract conversation about a man who was married being seduced by some vixen right and if he was seduced by this vixen it was not solely the man's fault for having this affair that it was just as morally morally distasteful for the woman to have seduced the married man and so i'm thinking that he wants the government to be able to control situations to stop people from making bad decisions and that is i think a I mean, it was a perfect descriptor, actually, to see that he really wasn't a conservative if he believes in that sort of, you know, mommy and daddy need to babysit me because I 
don't know how to control my my own actions. I, I, I don't know how how much I agree with this sentiment. Maybe I'm maybe you could say I'm not a conservative because I don't agree. But like this is the, I, I mean, I, I obviously have very weird heterodox stupid like political mm -hmm. opinions all over the spectrum but the point is like yeah, i was know. thinking about this earlier i was thinking about pornography i was thinking about how uh, an estimated 80 percent of men have used pornography in like the last week that's pretty much an epidemic right when you when we have all these studies that show that there's adverse effects on on men as far as like erectile dysfunction has gone up a thousand percent um people uh are, aren't staying in the relationships as long uh, 56% of divorces cite pornography use as something that contributed to them getting divorced. There's all these societal problems that come with widespread pornography use. And it turns out almost 50% of kids, of, of people aged 14 and older, boys aged 14 and older, are using pornography. And if they if, if that happens, about 90% of them will continue to use up and in, further into their adulthood. Well, what is what are the ramifications of having access to something that stimulates your dopamine receptor so much that it feels like you're having sex like it's it's equivalent and so your brain gets used to the idea that you're having sex technically to your brain even though you cognitively know different your brain's reacting in the same way as if you were having sex with a different person or a different woman every single day what does that do to a man's brain what does that do over time especially when it's so easy to access and it's so easy to to go back into it if you're addicted if you're already in the habit of using pornography don't, all the time. Don't you think that there's other things that stimulate dopamine just as much? Like, I think maybe we Drugs. are just overstimulated okay. in general. So, so the only the only yeah. things that have similar effects, they measured it in rats, was was drugs, was was things like cocaine, was things like methamphetamine, was sex. Um, it, it, it's not the same as looking at a sunset. It's not the same as doing a pleasurable activity. Uh, the closest things that it's to are sex and drugs. So... I want to go back yeah. here just for a minute. It would have been right? rock and roll if rats I, could appreciate I, 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 I don't know. I think I think there's a difference. When you have it widely available to you, everybody's got a phone now, everybody's got internet. It's like and, and it's something you can become addicted to and it's widely available to children. I mean, I can't get drug I can't open a tab and download cocaine and then use it as a kid. That's all I'm gonna say. All right, well, we're going to segue into this this next conversation, right? Because I want to go back and address lecture fan. Bro, thanks for sharing that, the uh, the small-town Montana story, right? Heck yeah. Uh, I had a lot of similar uh, in the mountains in North Carolina. So it was just more laid back. You know, it was a different time. I had the NES growing up. Uh, I didn't have some weird restriction on the, uh, the TV uh, thing. But... A matter of fact, the conversation that I had today is like the Nintendo's dapper for the NES. It was so great with Duck Hunt, right? Uh, you can't actually use those today because flat panel TVs won't work with it. It's got to be a CRT. So somehow when technology advances, it just gets left behind in that regard. Do you know what I mean? I know. Uh, so Indranax, right? Um, we're kind of taking this moment... To just kind of share a little bit about ourselves, like, you know, like with Lecture Fan, we said it was the man behind the beard, right? So, so who's the, who's the man behind the chin, right? Who, who's this guy? <laughs> I, I thought, I thought you were going to say suit, which I think, but I, I'll take it. Um, I, uh, gosh, I'm a weirdo. Uh, I grew up in, in Southern California, uh, in the suburbs in San Diego, San Marcos, actually. Uh, you know, we had a pretty, I, I grew up in a conservative uh, traditional Catholic family, very restrictive on like access to to computer, to the computer, to the TV. Uh, we lived right across from the elementary school, so we were often outside all the time. We played. Um, we would go to the beach all the time. We'd go to amusement parks. Both my parents are special education teachers, so they would get these little slips from um, 
uh, like these the different theme parks to give to their students, but they only had like 20 students. So they'd give enough to each of their students, basically free passes to all of these different amusement parks. And then they'd have tons left over. And so we ended up using, we, went, we got to go to Legoland all the time. Uh, I lived there till I was about seven. We moved to Northern Wyoming, uh, outside a town called Level, Wyoming. I don't live there anymore. That's a town of about 2000 people. We live 10 miles outside of that town on a 120 acre farm right next to uh, Zeller's Queen Bee's farm. No longer there, sadly, but they, uh, they're the only honey farm on the, in, the, in all of Wyoming. Uh, they, they made candy on the, okay, why the did you move? You got to tell us why you moved. What was, Oh, your you're right. Yeah. We moved because, um, my aunt died and it was really hard on my mom cause they were really close and both our families lived apart. My aunt and her family, uh, lived in Nevada and we would go up and visit all the time. They lived in like rural Amargosa Valley. We didn't want to move to Nevada. They didn't want to move to California. So we picked, uh, they found a, a house in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, and uh, we moved when I was seven. What jobs were they able to get there? Uh, so my my dad stayed in California, finishing his um, his master's degree, uh, and then he came up and got a special education job. Uh, my uncle and my cousin, we formed this like giant family unit essentially. So they were working at an Amcol factory, which is like uh, betonite. So they were processing betonite into into products. And that paid actually pretty well. They started at $12 an hour. And this was back in like, I don't, I don't even like before the housing crisis, I think, if my memory serves. I mean, I was seven years old. So um, yeah, so we we moved out there and they su they supported the entire family unit. My mom was a homemaker. Uh, she was on disability out of the state of California because she had a, a, a brain disorder that gives her like crippling migraines. So she can't uh, focus for very long. So anyway, she just stayed at home and took care of the kids and, and was a homemaker. Um, and then, you know, I grew up there and it was a completely different environment. Our town was 90% Mormon. So, so, and we were Catholic and they did not like us very much. Um, that's okay though. We, we still got along. Uh, went to school you know, all the time. Mormons have to be nice in order to get their own planet. So of course that's, they were friendly. That's enough. true. They were, they were, they were as nice as they could be to Catholics. I guess. Um, but yeah, the, on the main street of the town, there's just this giant Mormon temple, like the biggest one you'll ever see in a small town, uh, right across from the main grocery store, the biggest building in the town easily. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we lived there for probably until I was 15 or 16, uh, at which point we had expanded the farm to be, we had a trailer, the big farm, ha farmstead house, we had a cabin and we had a, a second house that we had actually moved. Um, you, you can move houses. Who, who knew? I didn't know, but found that one out. Um, well, uh, I, uh, I, I got really like sad and lonely and depressed, I guess it was mostly my fault because, uh, well, I, I, we won't get into it, but basically, uh, I consumed too much food based on, uh, emotional issues I was having. I read a lot of books. I became very introverted for a time. I ballooned up to 320 pounds. We moved to uh to denver the denver metropolitan area because my dad lost his job and uh my my parents were really obsessed with this dave ramsey stuff of getting out of getting out of debt and our house was worth a lot more so they were looking to downsize basically and we found a foreclosed home in the denver metropolitan area my dad found a job there so we ended up moving there after spending a year and a half probably selling the house as well as living in a trailer in southern wyoming and my dad was working at 
um, I think it was either FedEx or, or UPS or something part-time to get by. Uh, so then we moved to the Denver metropolitan area. Uh, we found a foreclosed house. We lived there for about a year. It was a pretty small house for, well, I have six siblings. <laughs> I, I should have mentioned that. I have six siblings. So big Catholic family. Um, uh, after my dad, we were, we lived in that area, that, that small house in, in the Denver area for a while. Um, eventually we found another foreclosed house that was bigger, moved to that one. Uh, and then I, we ended up, um, I, don't know, I, I, I turned 16 and I had had enough of just being like, I guess stuck. So I started, I chose, I, I started reading things like Jordan B. Peterson stuff. I started looking more into like, okay, how do I fix myself? Because clearly this isn't working. I'm 320 pounds. I'm very unhappy. I'm introverted. I'm playing video games all the time. I'm not doing anything productive. Um, so lost uh, 120 pounds over the course of two years. Uh, planned on joining the military. Was then conned into going to university. Uh, I, I also forgot to mention, I graduated high school at 16. And then I worked at Subway. So I was going to go to university. I had a full ride scholarship. But I ended up leaving because I wasn't mature enough to actually like do college. I was emotionally very immature and I, even though i was getting b's i just couldn't deal with it also i was isolated from the rest of the adults that's why i ultimately decided to lose weight was because i felt very detached from everybody else um and i felt very lonely and sad and depressed all the time anyways so i i, I went back home i lost the weight i was planning on enlisting in the air force uh, i've been talking to a recruiter and my cousin who i'm basically i am i'm 95 percent certain was uh, enlisted by my parents to get me to go to college because they wanted me to go to college, came up to me and said, hey, you know, there's an Air Force ROTC program at this university that you have, you still have your full ride to. I, I want to go back to university too. Why don't you, instead of going through the enlistment process, why don't you go become an officer and go back to, to university? <laughs> and uh, like, lo and behold, I, I go and, and do that. And two weeks before classes start, she's like, oh yeah, uh, I'm not going to go back to university. So pretty sure she never planned on doing so. Uh, I went to university. I met my beautiful fiance, uh, who I intend on marrying uh, at the earliest convenience. Um, was in you know what they say. What's that? There's no time like the present. That's true. That's true. But I just, I don't have enough money for a ring right now to be completely real with you. <laughs> that's the only you know, thing. I'll I'm, let, me, let me put it to you like this, man. <clears throat> it's not the value or the cost of the ring that matters. It's the way in which it's given yeah, and what, fair. and what, and what is behind it. Because if she really loves you, that's all that's going to matter. I I mean, I, I think wise words. We, I, I agree. I think that's <laughs> we, um, we, we would go get married at the courthouse tomorrow. If there wasn't societal expectations that we have a big Catholic wedding. So, <laughs> that's that's what we're we're planning. You, you're still suffering from Catholic guilt. This is the shit I was talking about earlier. CTV. <laughs> Listen, the communitarian bonds are strong. Okay, you can't. Yeah, yeah. At least that, one of the sides of the family will be really pissed. So I got you. I got you. So then they. Well, I guess what what I saw. We all saw Braveheart, right? Isn't there like a way you can like you know make your way out into the woods and do like a little. Ribbon wrap in, or it's yeah, that ended up well. Right? <laughs> no, right? He just died, no big deal. 
I wanted to ask specifically Endernax, but anyone else too that's on the panel about how they they felt about um, Ayn Rand because I know Endernax is not a fan, but I was wondering if anybody else you know felt the same way as him. Atlas Ooh. Shrugged was a great book. You read the whole thing, huh? I did read the whole thing. Yeah. No, I like. I'm not. I don't necessarily agree with everything that Ayn Rand says, but. Uh, oh. But I, I generally agree with with a lot of the sort of theory, like principles behind the Atlas Shrugged book, which is that, um, you know, people deserve to be able to work and to reap the fruits of their labor. Yeah, I liked Bioshock. It I was think... a great game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> more of an indictment of Ayn Rand. I think Bioshock was than anything. My my, I'm not going to claim to be. Uh, an expert on autism. Um, I, I haven't read a lot. But here's my one problem I have with it. I would guess if I got to sit down and talk to Ayn Rand, that it would be explained to me very differently than some of my a-hole friends that have claimed to be objectivist and used it as justification for doing a-hole things. Hmm. Uh, so to them, it's what they took out of it was, hey, I could be selfish and do whatever I want and who gives a shit. And I don't think that's what she was trying to say. Not like that anyways. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, why don't I like the Grateful Dead? Well, it's not because the Grateful Dead is not good. I actually enjoy their music. I can't stand the Deadheads. That's why I don't like the Grateful Dead. It was, um, so with, with Ayn Rand, that, that's how I feel with Ayn Rand. Like some the of the people, neo, not everyone, but, you know. The neo-Satanist movement actually cite Ayn Rand as their uh, their key philosopher basically that that yeah. satanism in its essence is is just individualism put up to the umpteenth degree because then you have no so you have no responsibilities to your community to your church to to the people around you to make sure that their spiritual well-being is, is such and that's a very catholic thing for me to say but um i'll say that uh for me ayn rand uh, not a huge fan and i'm not a huge fan Simply because I, I feel like there is, a, there is a responsibility, especially for conservatives to realize that their culture is not born out of cities. That ultimately, there is a certain type of culture and ideology and political spectrum that exists exclusively to uh, rural communities, to uh, certain suburban communities where uh, faith is held and where uh, values are not easily given up. That just does not exist in the cities, and, and in large part, in my mind, it's because if you if you have just infinite access to vices, it's very hard to maintain a moral lifestyle. If you're living in Las Vegas and you're surrounded by people who are selling drugs and sex, and there's billboards across the street with naked women on them all over the place, um, it is not a very good place to to try and raise a child or raise a family that is going to have values that support conservatism in general. Um, and I think that if you boil everyone down to an individual and, and that you worship, in my opinion, at the altar of capitalism, what you get is everybody is an economic input. And that input will that where that input goes changes depending on where the economy goes. And right now we're seeing all of the economy go into these giant liberal cities. And that's my concern. I want to conserve the rural communities that are dying right now. I don't I don't right. think we should abandon them. But, like, well, Ayn Rand's, like, whole philosophy, though, about, like, thinking for yourself, though, it's it's not necessarily stemmed from, like, being a dick to the people around you. Oh, yeah, uh, no. She uses this example once in this uh, conversation she had about how 
a man is taking care of his dying wife and he's doing it for simply selfish reasons it's not just because he loves her and wants the best for her the whole the 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 bottom line is is when you love someone that you're with or you love the people in your community you are making the sacrifices to make sure that you have them in your life for as long as possible as this man is doing everything he can to save his wife but it's not for her sake it's for his because he can't imagine his life without her and that's what love is it's doing things for selfish reasons and that happen to benefit the other person i mean i don't this is the problem. I can't hear Rob that, Like, Rob, I know, Internet, we were Rob, just talking Rob. about the, Yeah. I don't know what it is, man. Tonight, your mic has been kind of, like, breaking up. I, I think it's his internet connection. I think it's his internet, too. You're, you're dropping packets. <laughs> we're getting yeah. packet loss. Let's see. Let's see if I can refresh or something. Uh, am I still sounding terrible? No, I wasn't here. I'll just, no, I'll right just power through it. If it drops, I'll just, I'll restart or something. But uh, no, like, the problem is, like, some people seek to, they bastardize, like, these philosophers. And if you're not read in them yourself, you, you just take someone's word for it, right? How many times have I heard not real communism, right? <laughs> not real communism. No, you, you need to really understand what Marx was saying. And they're just right. spewing garbage. Like, it's not really a historical so reality. Uh, but, one, yeah, here's one thing I will say. Um that speaks to kind of what I think objectivism maybe means. I was talking about earlier this idea of morality. I don't mind anyone disagreeing with me. In fact, I think we should talk to people that disagree about what's best for the country and what's best for things. What, what, what I draw the line at is when it becomes a question of morality, where people say, I'm better than you because I have this belief. And I think that the, it's not that you can't say that, but it just makes the discussion really crappy, in my opinion. And what you end up seeing is this. Like, the discussion I had earlier, like I was saying about um, climate change and whether you're putting your own money up. You have people that think they're moral because they're advocating for government policies, but they're unwilling to change their behavior until the government forces them. So I'll give you an example. I have many, many people that told me healthcare is a human right. It's an absolute human right. And we should be providing for people's health care. And I'll say, sweet, uh, I'll, I know you. You're a wealthy person. I give you a list of five people right now in my rural community that don't have health care. Would you like to sponsor them? Would you like to give them money? And they're like, no, I don't want to do that. I'll only give the money if the government forces other people to give money. Right? That's not morality. You could argue that that's strategically what's best for the country. We could have a but you don't get the claim that you're a moral person because you're saying, well, actually, I'm going to keep robbing banks, but I'll advocate the government makes robbing banks illegal. And, and then they'll and then they'll sit there and unironically say that all of the conservatives that are right now doing mission trips in Africa, taking care of the poor, building schools, getting them clean water, getting them food, getting them clothing, doing basically, uh, you know, uh, uh, what, what am I looking for here? Um, uh, Charity. Uh, well, charity, yes, but I'm thinking more like biblical terms. Um, 
faith through works. I don't, I don't remember the exact term, whatever. It doesn't matter. Okay. The point being is that they'll accuse oh. these people of being morally bereft, evil, racist, piles of garbage when they're going, they're going and trying to help the most needy people in the world. And then they'll try to ascribe those people to have negative connotations towards their visitation in the first place by saying things like, oh, well, they, they're just, they're only there because they look down on these people because they think right. that they need their, that they have to go there and spread the word of Jesus. And if they don't, these people are gonna burn in hell. That's the only reason they're doing it. No, it's because the culture that is born in Christian communities, in conservative communities, is one where you, you it isn't just about you. Guess, guess what, buddy? You're gonna die one day and, and, and you're gonna be judged by your actions on this planet. And it has nothing to do, even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't believe in God, you're still gonna be judged by your actions. And so that's why Christians have this tradition of helping yeah no that's that's why all of the data all of the data shows all the studies show that conservatives donate way more to charity and frankly that's one of the biggest misconceptions on the left about conservatives you know like frankly one of the reasons i'm conservative is because i care deeply about the lowest of the low income and, and the poorest of the poor one of the reasons I support conservatism and the Constitution and free markets and everything else is because it's I care about the poor and like these leftists who who think that you know unless you support communism that you don't care about the poor is just so off base like frankly one of the reasons I'm a conservative is because I care so much about the poor like yeah this is right. such a misconception such a misconception on the left and you know they 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 do it to make themselves feel better. I think like they could never imagine that a conservative supports conservative policy because they care about the poor and they want to help the poor. They could never imagine that, you know, they, they also could never imagine that the policies that they support are actually harming the very people that they're allegedly trying to help. I mean, it's all, it's all so, so messed up. And it's, to me, it's the exact opposite, right? They feel that their words or their hypothetical philosophical positions make them moral persons, but their their actions are irrelevant. We feel the actions are more important when it comes to morality. This is a different question than what is strategically best for society. It's we're talking about morality. So when I was in the debate community, you know, one of the things everyone's super left wing, and I was all the time of being accused of being a racist or this and that. I got to my time on airplane went to Dallas. There's a tournament in this like four star hotel in Dallas. And most of the people working at this hotel were Hispanic. Most of them didn't speak English. So you have these debate rounds and you got all this evidence. And people call me racist and I don't care about the border and you know people in other countries and this and that. And then the round ends. You know what the people that were saying that did? They left their garbage everywhere. They they yeah. just expected the help to clean it up. I stuck around and helped. Then I offered, I got like, because it was a big tournament, I got like $30 per meal. So I asked these people that barely spoke English. I'm like, hey, man, I'm heading to Jack in the Box. You guys want to come with me? So two people that barely spoke English me just hung out at Jack in the Box. And then, still the next round, I was the racist. I was the terrible person. And it's just like, you can see this arrogance. Like when oftentimes when you hear like, I know this is an easy target, but like, remember when Alyssa Milano was tweeting in like 2017, if we had a border wall, who would clean my yard? Who, who would clean my house? Who would mow my yard? Like it, well, the Anne arrogance Rand is- talks about like how this kind of this self-righteous idea that like you should always be like giving your last dollar. It just keeps going and going and going to the point where if you are any if you were born with any sort of a privilege um 
if you are if you're sharing if you aren't sharing every single piece of food that you have with someone that is less fortunate you're a bad person you literally need to starve to death in order to keep up this 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 fake self-righteous um ideology about how like you actually care about the poor and how they're all just a bunch of phonies because you can't live up to that you can't starve yourself in order to keep giving to people that are less fortunate than you i feel like christ is a better example of how to do this in the first place it's not like christ didn't own anything he had clothes he had you know by, by all accounts had sandals now that's not saying that he he, you know, he could feed himself. Obviously, he's he's God on earth, according to scripture. Um, but the, the point being is that there were things that Jesus and his disciples owned. They had money. They had they took donations, um, but they were never wealthy. They never displayed their wealth. They never bragged about their wealth. They they used that. And it's not even like an expectation that everyone should act like Christ. It's just that if you were going to look for a way to act in the world that you like, insofar as you wanted to help as many people as possible, the Christ-like model or striving to be as Christ-like as possible, which is what you should be doing on this earth, um, is the model. It isn't the Ayn Rand, you know, like, or the communist, like, you have to give up everything model, although that is effectively what they want to happen. Um, and they really just don't get their ideology. And it's so clear because they'll go on and they'll, and, and Bosch will act all pretentious and act like he's so offended that uh, you, like like that you don't think that socialism is market socialism and that you don't think that socialism is just uh these worker co-ops um but in all actuality they fully admit this and that's why that richard wolf quote that i used during the debate is so damning like that they just straight up admit that they don't know what socialism is and it depends depending on what they feel they could defend the best they don't care what it becomes what it is they just want to achieve it it's an abstract idea um hey, that's where like a lot of times where i get into arguing socialism with with these people right they like ultimately i i i make them describe what it is that they want from a community and right and obviously they start off well at the lowest level possible we want the workers to be able to own this, the means of production right so then we start talking into how do we get to that point and it's like well okay so we need these laws at this level here and then we got to be able to do this and it's like ultimately what they end up describing to me is a constitutional republic, right? <laughs> so I have them work through all the whole the whole idea, right? Starting at the lowest level, communities working together, then like the county and then like the state, and you know, and it's like by the time they get to the end of it, they've described to me how the American constitutional republic is supposed to be in their ideal. They're just trying to associate it with a different word, and it's like. This is why we had to go through this mental exercise. You know what I mean? Thank you for inviting me on CTV. I'm going to go now. Rest well, in peace. Well, thank you for coming by tonight, man. man. I'm very happy. I wasn't expecting you to be here, but I'm so happy that you were. So happy that you were. Thank you very much. Lecture fan, it's been a while. I hope it has been. Yeah, you too. Thanks. And Endernax, I think this might be the first time we've actually spoken, so... Yeah, I think so. So I appreciate it. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. See yeah. you. We'll see you. Endernax, I know you mentioned Jordan Peterson, right? Jordan Peterson tells this story about George Orwell writing the book The Road to Wigan Pier, right? And the way it was a serial. So he was writing he was commissioned to Fair write man. it by socialists in London. And it was he's putting an episode out or a chapter every week in like their paper or whatever. 
And the first half of the book uh, is Jordan Peterson explaining how these people that broke it, work on Wigan Pier and these coal mines, it's hell on earth. Like the, the conditions of the workers is deplorable. It's disgusting. And so the socialists love this. Yeah. The second half of that book is Jordan, who was a self-identified socialist, making the argument, I have the sneaking suspicion that these socialists in London don't care at all about these people. Instead, they are exploiting the bad conditions these workers have in order to attack people that have more than them. And so these socialists have realized the way we can attack people that have more than us is to say, see, we care about the people that have less than us. So you ought to be ashamed for having more than us. And oftentimes it seems like their mentality is, you know, I say this about Bernie Sanders. Bernie's millionaires were immoral until he became a millionaire. Now he says they're immoral. What he's really saying is everyone that has one cent more than me is immoral. My wealth is legitimate. And that's one of the things that you can see the disingenuous nature, I think, of them. And Bernie's always been, I mean, even since he was young, he was, he's always been ideologically a, a Marxist. It, it hasn't been about, you know, trying to build some sort of social democracy in America, which would be actually a reasonable goal. I wouldn't care. I'd be like, right. okay, fair enough. Like, oh, one second, I might, I accidentally unplugged my microphone, but uh, I, I can't hear you. But what I'll say is, um, the, they don't have like, for, where, what was I saying? The, I was complaining about Bernie Sanders, but the, the honest truth is I had my own like hatred for a time of billionaires. And then I was like, do I really have any rational reason? Not really. Okay, let me be clear. Are there individual billionaires I don't like? Yeah. Well, what do I want to happen to them? Well, I'd like to see their actions regulated more. Who are those people? They're generally people who, you know, engage in international capitalism to go and invest in places like China that I'm not a huge fan of. Like, I think that as a, as a country, we should be like, hmm, maybe we don't invest in the authoritarian state, uh, like, uh, apparatus that is hell-bent on controlling its citizens, committing genocide, and, and, and using totalitarian measures to propagandize their, their people. Like, maybe we shouldn't trade with those people. I don't know. But that's, like, that's different in essence, than just hating Jeff Bezos for holding Amazon stock, right? Exactly. Jeff Bezos was some weird ass nerdy dude who sold books on the internet for decades or like a decade before he even rose to any type of prominence. Now, there might be problems with things Amazon does as a corporation, but am I really gonna like sit here and be like, oh, like how are you even gonna extract the wealth from, from Jeff Bezos? Are you gonna nationalize Amazon? Is that what you're gonna do? Right. Right. Yeah. And I have the same conversation. And again, like there are laws on the book. Like, so I have problems with the way that like the tech companies are censoring things, but yeah. we have laws to deal with monopolies and things like that. I, I feel that again, a lot of people just have a hatred for the wealthy because they hate that they perceive them as more successful than them. So I have no, like, I, I this is what I always, they'll say, but doesn't he have too much money? I'm like, let's say tomorrow, Edgar and I, you develop some sort of panacea, literally every day. In, it cures cancer, cures AIDS, you know, diabetes, cures timer. What's that worth? What percentage of the country's wealth would you deserve for coming up with some miracle cure like that? That literally changes like life expectancy for men's goes from you know 75 to 120. Like, what's that worth? Are we going to say, well, you made your you made your billion, that's it? Anything more than that's an unfair share. So it seems, you know, it, it again it, it comes to I think one of the problems is, in addition to abdicating self-responsibility, 
there's this desire to argue from the state of utopia. And I get, they'll, they'll use the word what about it a lot, right? When you you have to compare it to something. So we could sit here and criticize capitalism all day. We could say, here are some problems that come up with capitalism. But what system are you comparing it to? And what they compare it to is utopia, right? And so, but there is no utopia. We will never get there. And the problem is when you try, when you pretend that you can get there, you make all sorts of bad decisions, right? So now you start advocating a bunch because after all, we're going to solve all of the problems of the world. This is exactly what Stalin ran into, right? Stalin, I don't think, started off as a bloodthirsty maniac. He became one because he was going to achieve utopia. So everything was justifiable on that journey. There's also an egomaniac type of uh, a personality trait that you get with a lot of these people. It's like if you just had enough experts in a room and they sat around a table and, and came up with an authoritarian enough control system and implemented these tests, then all of a sudden everything would work out. Uh, you just have to convince enough of the stupid, dumb, poor people to come along with you uh, in order for it to actually occur. I, I don't think that these people, like I genuinely believe that they don't think that they're anything like the Bolsheviks or that they're anything like previous revolutionaries. They think that they're better, um, but then they'll go and they'll support groups and Marxist-Leninists across the planet who are literally the same type of revolutionaries that have existed throughout history. Like they don't, they're just, there's just a complete disconnect. They don't realize, or, or if they do realize, they don't care because the, the, uh, the ends justify the means. If, if they need to commit acts of terrorism, that's justified, right? Um, and it's not to like get up on a soapbox and complain about communists. I, I, I obviously disagree with every single person here on economic takes. That's no secret. I'm glad you bring up economics. Well, I'm glad well, you bring that up. And maybe you can maybe you can clarify some history for me, right? Because I did a study into the Roman history, right, uh, a little bit with regard to economics back then. And when they were doing their coin clipping, right, uh, like isn't that history directly correlative to what we're seeing today? What were they doing with coin clipping? Well, you know, obviously, like a certain amount of weight of a coin, right, has a certain value. So they oh. were clipping the edges off of it and then remounting them down to make more coins so that there were more coins in circulation, hoping that the people didn't notice. You I know mean, what I mean? That's like, there's a whole lot of stuff going on there. They didn't really have fiat currency. They used, like, you know, rare earth minerals, which is, I think, a little different in how it works. There's a lot of problems with Roman decline that. I like socialists say, oh, it's because they got rid of the grain dole or they stopped giving as much food to the poor, which like in that society, actually lowering the grain dole actually meant like <laughs> potentially hundreds of thousands of peasants dying because <laughs> they didn't have any access to food. But uh, I it's very complicated. And the Roman Empire lasted a very long time. So I, I don't know. Maybe. Does anybody know more about Roman history? No. no. Lecture fans gotta know I, something, I right? I see him playing that game all the time. You gotta know something about like the Romans and the well, economy, I, right? I don't think. I, I mean, I don't think you have to look to Rome. The his, like currents. You can look to lots of different histories of currencies. I mean, look at every single country that has done what we're doing to their currency. It's not just Rome and you know debasing their currency. That you know, look at every every other country that's ever had a currency that's done what we're doing to our currency has had ultimately uh, hyperinflation and a currency collapse. Now, the Weimar Republic's a great example. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I mean, it's not just the Roman, the fall of the Roman Empire you can point to. I mean, I think you can look at the history of all different types of currencies. Now, and the real this question, is, it's oh, so hard, I'll just say, it's hard to explain to an average person why devaluing the currency is basically screwing over middle class and poor people, right? Like, it's it's hard to explain that. And, and so this is one of the things I've been trying to say, right? Everything's seed intentions. So we have these lockdowns over COVID and then we have the CARES Act, right? It's called the CARES Act. It must, it's, it's gotta be good. And we have these stimuluses. We've given out what, two so far? These have been one of the largest transfers of wealth from poor and working class people to the wealthy. And it's literally being done by the exact same people that are telling you, shame on you, you need to help poor people. So it's like, okay, what's your policy? Well, here's my ideas. It's called the CARES Act. It's called the stimulus. We're helping. And yet, what's the end result? All of the feel-good, lovey-dovey, see, we're helping poor people. And what happened? Well, not just through currency devaluation, but through a bunch of other means, because it turns out when you tell people you can't work and you can't subsist on your own, so we have to lock you down, but don't worry, we'll take care of you, governments historically end up then taking care of the people that make those governments and the Pacific people in those governments have power. So the people that have the ability to lobby or you know things like that, they end up getting access to greater amounts of this money. Just a quick example, my wife works at a bank. I live in a town called Clarion, Pennsylvania. Do you know how many small businesses walked into her bank and said, we have no idea how to apply for this loan? And I brought this up in an argue, or a debate with Destiny and he laughed and said, that can't be true. Of course it's true. The average person doesn't know how to do these programs, but you know who did get the program? Every corporation. They knew exactly how to get as much out of government you know, devaluing government loans, government um, stimulus, uh, grants. So, yeah, that that's, you know, that's my take. A good, a good example is uh, that I always give to people is that the first stimulus deal that or the stimulus package that passed gave United Airlines, I think it was almost $70 billion, right? Yep. And then they have 90,000 employees. That amount of money was enough to give every single one of their employees six a $600,000 lump sum, okay? And you know what they did? They fired 20,000 employees and laid off another 10,000. That's what they did with that money. So just like, just like the, like, hmm, who's really benefiting? There's a reason Jeff Bezos and, and Elon Musk and all of these techs, tech execs, all of these, the people who own Google and Twitter, et cetera, these are the richest people in American society now. It's because the largest wealth transfer, transfer in the history of America just took place. And, and commies will sit here and use it to justify them voting for Democrats when it's like, we basically have it. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I think we have a uniparty that just passes yep. whatever the rich, like, corporations want right whatever whatever if jeff bezos wants something he gets it right you know it's what i think we don't you we, know what i really think like a lot a big problem about today like i and i'm sure lecture fan and probably rob too are going to be able to to get with this idea right a lot of the younger generation did not grow up and watch the movie along the way called old yeller right <laughs> excuse me i watched old yeller you watched Old Yeller. Okay. So, but I do feel like that a lot of people on the left, they have not seen Old Yeller, right? And sometimes you, you have to do the greater good, even though it's going to be horrible. And I think that in a lot of cases, one, they don't understand what that is. They, they would look at the situation and go, oh, well, Old Yeller's alive. Just leave him be. You know what I mean? 
or we can, hey, we can put him in this pen and he'll be all right. He'll be able to live out his days. You know what I mean? Regardless of the fact that he's suffering, right? He's not, Old Yeller was not himself. He definitely would not have been able to be Old Yeller in any of the capacity that Old Yeller would have been able to be in, like, you know, taking down the bull, for example. He wouldn't have been able to do that. I think a Democrat would have just tried to keep him there in the pen and just, you know, eventually end up getting bit by the very thing that they were trying to protect. I, th I, mean, I just feel a like a lot of their policies are just kind of like that. Yeah, I agree. So there's a question. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I was gonna. I agree. What? what uh, one of the things that you said, Rob, I agree with. And the another way that it like really benefits the wealthy, um, and hurts the poor when you we pass these huge stimulus packages and we have easy money policies from the Fed with all the quantitative easing and stuff, is that we're seeing massive rises in asset valuations of real estate and stocks. So if you own if you own real estate, if you own stocks. You're doing awesome right now. I mean, look at the stock markets at record levels. I mean, how absurd is that? That the stock market is at record levels and that real estate, I mean, the real estate market's out of control. I know I've been trying to, I'm literally trying to buy a house like around this time and it's just insanity. The the real estate prices are going up 15% a year in some places, 20% a year in some places. And there's no, the real estate values are out of control all around the country and stock prices are out of control all around the country. And most of what the federal government's doing from the federal reserve to Congress is designed to prop up uh, the, this real estate values and the stock prices. And, you know, yeah, there's actually a lot of Amer Americans that own real estate and own stocks, but it's not like, you know, the poorest of the poor that are owning real estate and owning stocks. And so you're we're doing all of this stuff to prop up asset prices in the real estate and the equity sector. Um, and at the same time, we're putting out this massive, massive amounts of debt that at some point is going to have, have and, and frankly, it's already what this data shows is actually the higher debt levels that you have, the lower economic growth you have. So if you actually look over the, you know, if you actually look over history, um, one of the reasons that we no longer have rising wages for the lower income brackets and one of the reasons that we don't have GDP growth is because of the constantly expanding size and scope of the federal government and the constantly expanding debt levels. And so what CTV was saying is absolutely right. Like sometimes it is, you know, to do the right thing, it is going to be uh, painful in the short term. And so if we were to balance the budget, if we were to instantly balance the budget, you know, that would cause a lot of pain. Obviously, if we were to instantly get rid of Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security, that would cause a lot of pain. But like, that's why you would do it. That's why in order to do these types of things, you have to do it uh, over time and sort of like a transition period. Like, I think Social Security should be phased out over time. Like, I don't think it's fair, you know, to just yank Social Security, um, you know, right. from people that are relying on it. But I do think it's right that we should start phasing it out over time. And over a longer period of time, you can actually um, sort of phase that out. And same with Medicare and Medicaid and all of these different things and, and get the balance, balance the budget closer to where we're going because in the long term, we're going to be much better off. It's going to cause uh, GDP growth to go up. It'll cause wage growth to increase. It'll be better for everybody. Um, but you know, because there's a little tiny bit of short-term pain associated with that. Well, it's it's like political. It's like the political third rail. Yeah, and like 
there's I always think it's funny when you could really get into someone's ideology, because, again, many of the people that I've talked with on the left, whether it be on panels or elsewhere, right, they claim to be champions of the poorest people. But then look how quickly they flip it when it goes against a position that they find themselves advocating. So my favorite example is illegal immigration. You have a discussion with someone, you'll, it'll go something like this. They'll say, they give two justifications for illegal immigration. One, it's morally the right thing to do. Who are we to tell people they can't come in? And second, uh, it keeps your products cheaper, right? Like, you don't want to pay a bunch of money for avocados, right? You, you know, they're working at a cheap wage. And I'm like, so wait a minute, you're saying so you could have cheap groceries? Uh, these people have to work these shitty jobs and not get paid a fair wage? It's an artificial low wage because uh, they're in a, they're more they're more competitive because they don't have to meet the regulations we put on the rest of people. Oh, no, 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 no. We should, we should pay them more. Well, then wouldn't the price go up of the produce, the very thing you're saying? And when you're having this discussion, one of the things that the evidence is quite clear on is that illegal immigration, particularly from the southern border, competes directly with low-skilled labor. And where they settle is predominantly in cities. So they are directly competing with people of color in cities that have low-skilled labor, right? And when you bring this up almost every time, you know what the answer I'm giving is? Yeah, but it increases GDP. <laughs> and it's like, you're literally, you're making the argument of the people you claim to hate the most. You're saying, well, as long as the bottom line is more money for the country, here's people a, at the bottom scale now I, have increased competition, right, when it comes to their wages. I, I'll just say that, I mean, obviously I have a very different perspective than, than lecture fan. Oh, yeah. um, I think it's mostly generational, actually, but I, I don't really see GDP growth or economic growth necessarily as tied to the country's well-being, especially when um, more people, you know, commit suicide, there are more people addicted to drugs, mm -hmm. I, more people, um, uh, less people own stocks than they used to, less people own houses than they used to, less people are staying in the same communities that they, were, they used to stay in, meaning that there is no communities being built up. We're all transient economic inputs into a machine. I, I am not particularly married to capitalism, but I understand that it is the system that we have, and I'm not going to work to upend the system during a time of international crisis. I am, I am, to be frank, terrified that China is going to eat our lunch, even though Joe Biden, yep. you know, is pretending that they're not going to. Um, and this is actually something that you mentioned in regards to consumer goods. People, it's it's institutions like the Cato Institute who will come out and defend trade with China, despite the fact that they've gotten worse on human rights abuses. They're now committing more atrocities than they used to. They have not gotten better. They've infected international liberal institutions and are using them for their own policy agenda now. Things like the UN and et cetera. The um, and and so like you have to look at it like this. This, the, the, the argument that the people from the Cato Institute will use is like, well, uh, Americans are saving $200 a year on TVs and phones. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care if Americans are saving $100 or $200 a year on their phones or their TVs while we're propping up the most authoritarian uh, regime on this planet that's engaging in genocide right now. I really don't care. We can pay an extra $100 to $200 so we're not giving money to modern-day Nazis. That'd be great. Uh, and, and, and frankly, the people there who are doing the labor, it's basically slave labor. We, they have literal work yeah. camps. They just put 500,000 Tibetans in camps. Like, it's just right, insane so, to me. Well, I don't, dis I, don't, I don't disagree with any of that, really. I mean, I, I, can, okay. talk, I can talk pure economics and pure finances all day long. Okay, before we, before we get too far. Yeah, I wanted to. Yeah, I was going to say, like, 
I actually think that the the economics and the finance stuff is actually secondary to social issues. So I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, I I I can talk about economics and finance and keep it that way and keep it within that realm of possibility or just that realm of discussion. But I actually think it is somewhat irrelevant compared to sort of societal well-being. And I think, you know, that is all downstream from culture and, and social values. And I don't think it's worthwhile at all if you've got a rotten society and a rotten culture and with a rotten spiritual uh, life to all of a sudden have this booming economy. I, I think, in fact, I think the the social structure and fabric comes first because if you don't have um and, and frankly i think one of the reasons we have all these terrible economics is because the social rot came first you, when you have this social rot and you hear you have the spiritual rot and you have a turning away from uh family values and conservative you know values and and a, and a strong community life and a strong religious life you then you then turn to government to replace all of that with it and that's one of the fundamental tenets of i would say modern american conservatism is is a recognition that um the reason communists always ban religion is because communists have to get rid of religion so that people then replace their religious beliefs and they get their spiritual fulfillment from the government and from communism so i you know i don't disagree that you know economics is not the end-all be-all i'm a i'm a i'm a very very clear social conservative and I think that's the first and foremost sort of thing that, that that comes first because politics is downstream from culture. I I yeah, I agree. I, I agree. So it's just I come that. to a different conclusion on economics because of that. I think to myself, okay, how do you get conservative culture and are you going to have a spiritual revival that comes naturally in a time where mm. You have instant access to whatever pleasures you want. It's never been cheaper to be a hedonist. It's never been more accessible to be a bad person. It's never been so easy to be a bad person in human history ever, ever, because of the things that are available to us in large part because, well, that's just the way the market works. The, it, the market wants to make it as easy as possible for Karen to purchase her dildo and get it delivered to her house via drone in two hours. That's just market efficiency. It's but not like, the market it's hot, though. It's hot it's take, a, hot take. <laughs> Hot take. Before we get too far away from it, I got a hot take. What's up? All right. So here's the hot take. You ready? Because the economy, I feel like it's one of those long-term things like the lecture fan was talking about, right? Like it's going to take a while in order to get this thing fixed. And that's where, in my mind, I kind of made the argument for this may be one of those times in history where we need to actually look at removing the term limits from the office of the president and then... And I, and I think we all agree that there definitely needs to be term limits placed on the, the House and the Senate, right? So that's where I think that if we're going to do one, we're going to need to do the other. Because some if we're going to like if we're going to try to, to, to hold the system that we have together, the rot that's inside the legislatures has got to get cleared out so that real work can get done. And then if we're going to try to get away from the fiat currency uh, and back into um, a more stable system where we're not just perpetually running debt, then we're going to need an executive that's going to be able to help guide that in that arena. Does that make sense? I don't think any kind of I mean, structural changes or, or constitutional changes to term limits is going to fix what we I, the the root the root problem in the United States of America is that we have 
turned to were, were rotten spiritually and I, that's not the fault of the free market that's not the fault of the the constitutional structure that's the fault of uh the american people each individual american choosing to you know turn away from a godly life and then you have an entire nation that goes i mean look at all of our problems in this country have have basically come about ever since the 1960s sexual revolution I I I, 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 I I don't know, but here, here's I wouldn't what I'm say that. Here's I think you was breaking down way before that, because I mean, otherwise there wouldn't have been an argument for prohibition in the twenties when lots arguing. of wives got mad that their dad, that their their husbands and brothers and everybody was drunk all the time. So that's you know what I mean. So no, it, it was it was breaking down before that. I'll give you that. I I'm not um. I w I, I'm not ascribing the problems necessarily to the system, right? There's all sorts of problems with different systems. A lot of these stem from government, right? So if a policy implemented keeps somebody impoverished and they live in the inner city, ultimately their cultural values are not going to be that great. That's just that's just what's going to happen. You, if you're impoverished, you live in the inner city, um, you like let's say you don't have a father or whatever, you don't have a father figure in your life, you're probably more likely you're more likely to commit crime, you're more likely to engage in violent action, you're more likely to have a lower life satisfaction rates, you're less likely to be religious. I am just saying that there has never been a time in human history where it has been so accessible to be a person who engages in behavior that creates necessarily a not not necessarily evil people, but people who engage in bad behavior. Right. If I can open a new tab right now as I'm talking to you and get a dopamine hit by looking at pornography and we know that 80 percent of men are looking at pornography, that's something that's very concerning. And that's something that's incentivized through markets that we've made legal. We've said, it's okay for you to sell sex to everybody for ad revenue on the internet. That's something that we created via capitalism. And I don't, I don't think that that's good for society. Yeah, but that, that's, that's more a result of social policy at the governmental level, because like the government has implemented moral laws, you know, throughout human history, look at incest laws in incest laws have at their root, uh, a belief in, morality and it, that it's the government's job to have laws that actually uh promote a moral and, and a just society and so if a government a, you know a government could ban pornography or a government could ban uh incest that really doesn't say anything about the economics that the country has or or anything else that just that just has to do with where's the country at socially and culturally and, and what laws are they putting into place? That's sort of different. I think from, uh, it's, it's not, I mean, it's different from what like economics and, and taxing and spending, it obviously impacts it. And, and it leads to, and it leads to more taxing and spending and bigger government and everything else because people naturally turn to it. But, um, I think there in terms of what's causing it is those are somewhat, I think, distinct. But to me, I, I think you said it earlier where politics is downstream of culture, right? Like, so it's hard to legislate our way out of this. Like at this point, let's say tomorrow they would be, the government just passes, you know, a law that's like porn's illegal. Like it's not going to solve the situation because the underlying rot that allowed people to search for that would still exist. Now you might say it would be a step in the right direction, but I think that the problem is culture. And the problem is, you know, I, maybe I'm, more conspiratorial uh, i feel that culture has been dominated by these people in positions of power in the uniparty establishment and that they're damn smart at what they're doing they they know exactly how to influence people 
people in this division that lead to people making poor choices because like Endernax said earlier, I think that a lot of these people, they look at themselves as a different species almost. For me, they want a return to neo-feudalism, right? They want, it was ironic, we're talking about Rome. That's what they want, bread and circuses. They don't want people to be self-reliant. They don't want people to have a moral strength of character and to be able to basically employ themselves or have a small business or that. Like, lecture fan, you were talking about communists. Look, look what's going on under COVID in the United States. We have a Supreme Court that in Nevada said, you can't go to church, but you can go to the casino. You can't go to church in New Jersey, but you can go to the liquor store, right? Why is Why are they attacking the religion? Well, that's exactly it. Because you can have no God. The bargain they're offering you is this. We will be your perpetual mother and father. We'll take care of you. But don't you ever criticize us. You worship us. That's that, And that's what they've done with culture as far as I'm concerned. With kind of like the adornment of celebrity the way we see it. Uh, just kind of all of this. All of this terrible okay, stuff that we see you, going on. To me, let me ask you this then. Sure. Let me ask you this then. Because I'm not, I'm not saying that we can legislate our way out of this. Maybe Endernax is saying you can legislate your way out of it. I think of, like the like legislation as more of a reflection of where the country is at. So in, instead of instead mm -hmm. of like thinking of oh let's legislate and 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 have the government ban uh incest therefore that'll make the, the society more moral i think of it as okay we are a society that doesn't believe in incest so we are going to ban incest and so i think of the legislation part of it as more of a reflection of uh, of where it's coming but if but my question i guess for you is how do you what's what's the what's your solution then to to that problem i mean this this either yeah or b both you guys or ctv I, I too I think you can legislate it. And the reason I think you can is because I think that even though there are people who are really struggling to act morally and act upright and be good people, that a lot of those people realize that what they're doing is like empty and that there's it's not very fulfilling, that there's obviously something missing. And I, I don't know that that feeling in and of itself will result in a spiritual revival. I don't actually have much hope in that. I know there's a lot of people who just want to like leave it to, to God, but I think there's a scripture on like, it's actually the virtuous man who has to, uh, uh, you know, do the good works in order to make society and his community better. And you can't just sit there and rely on God to be the answer for everything. Sometimes it takes a virtuous man acting in the will of God or through through God, through the scripture to do the right things. I, I don't necessarily think that using the government to do things is inherently bad. I think that there are a lot of bad government policy that has bureaucracy and all sorts of problems attached to it. And there's all sorts of reasons why that happens. My solution to this looks like incentivizing people to live in in rural and conservative communities and return to a way of life that was pre uh, almost globalization and i'm not using that term in a type of dog whistly way what i literally mean is that as 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 we we introduced liberal international capitalism to the entire world and engaged in markets everywhere we dug out the industrial base from small town america from these medium towns from some of the cities in inner America, these places were essentially bastions of conservative culture. It was, it was these places where people had their families. They lived on farms. They lived in these rural townships. And now we're like, oh, you want a job? You want a good paying job? Well, guess what, kids? If you want that and you want, you're going to go get, guess what? You're going to get this college degree. Now you're going to have to move to uh, Denver or Salt Lake City or San Francisco or LA or Dallas, Texas or Houston. And even in, even in those conservative states that I named, like Salt Lake City. Well, Salt Lake City is still a liberal city inside of a conservative state. 
And the culture inside of it, despite having a, major, a lot of Mormons around it, is not a great one. That's got a party culture, a lot of people engaging in behavior that's not great. So how do you how do you solve it? Well, for me, it looks like making it easier. And I don't know how you I don't know that you can reshuffle jobs that easily and without insane government bureaucracy. So I'm not in favor of any type of jobs program from the government. I think you get rid of welfare and you institute a UBI. People will naturally gravitate towards where it's cheaper to live because then they can they even if they're taking a loss insofar as their income at their job, they it's it's more affordable. They can say, "Oh, listen, it's more affordable over here. Some of my income's not attached to my labor. I can get a cheaper paying job here and live in this rural community." Whereas right now a lot of young people feel like they're forced into a city because they can't find jobs. And I'm feeling the pressure right now. My fiance's feeling the pressure. Every young person I know is either working a, a crappy job in a in a rural town or, or working at a gas station or something, or they're moving to a city to get their high paying job. And that's not, that doesn't make a good culture, right? People are molded by their environment. All right, so, Rob. Like, I, I, have a, I, will, yeah, I have a lot of problems when it comes like, I, I, I extremely value freedom and I have a lot of problems. I understand that there is a place for laws and restricting freedom when it's for the public utility. But I'm very hesitant to have the government step in and sort of legislate morality. I understand that's not what Endernex is saying, but to me, that apprehension comes from, I think that the approach needs to start with us as the individual first. Now, let me say real quick to what Endernex is saying. One thing that I think is, I agree with what you're saying about city living and things like that. One of the ironies through the government's like greed to obtain power during COVID, regardless of their regardless if they're ex just exploiting an actual situation or if they're inflating the situation for the exploitation. One of the things that they should be careful of is this. Don't you see that people are starting to realize, I don't necessarily have to be in the city for this job anymore, right? You're starting to see it. The more people, it's a bad thing in one sense that we're not meeting in person as much as we used to, but people are, it's, it's accelerating something that was going to happen anyways. And that is when we have a more connected, through technology we're more connected whether it be you could literally travel faster because of advances in transportation technology or because of communication technology you're able to communicate and do these remote setting i am hopeful <laughs> that the cities are going to start to really lose their appeal you're going to see people saying you know what i could work for this corporation and i only have to go into the office one day a week right and I could work from home these other days, or I could have a satellite office that's, instead of paying a ridiculous rent for my law firm to be in downtown Boston, I could be out, you know, 30 minutes into the suburbs or two hours out in rural America, and I could still have that office and don't have to pay the ridiculous rents. And I think that Endernax is right, that that itself, if we, dis if we see more of this exodus of kind of focus on cities, I think that that will help out a lot with this. You know, the, the only advice I have, like, it sounds cliche and it sounds cheesy, but to me, it's this, like, my religion is this. I just believe in being Christ-like. That's it. I, I don't, I don't, I can't recite to you scripture. Um, I don't, you know, I don't have a particular domination. I just have an image of who Christ was and say, that's who I should model my life for. And I fail every day, every day. But to me, that's my constant effort. That's where I should go. If you get to being Christ-like because of some other way, right, like uh, you're, you know, believe in Judaism or you're a Muslim, I don't care. If your character is one that I could say, yeah, that that's a good, per that's a good character. That's what I, 
with Christ. Like, I don't care how you get there. I think following Christ is the easiest way to get there. But um, so for me, the reason I believe this, I went to a church. The church was terrible. Um, they were Pentecostal. So not only they spoke in tongues, I asked questions about it. They basically told me to shove off. They didn't want to talk about it. And they used fear as the reason to be in the church. I didn't like it, so I became disenfranchised. And you know what it took? It wasn't some church. It was people I knew that identified as Christians that I could look at, not because they were preaching to me, but because the way they lived their life, I was like, wow, that, that person's awesome. They're kind to me, even though I don't agree with what their religion is. The way they purported themselves made me change my mind. It wasn't anything they said to me. It was how they lived their life. And so what I try to tell people is, you know, the establishment right now and the, the culture is dominated by people that are against conservatism and against the values that the best thing you could do to fight back is you will not by just your words, but by your actions. We are good people. Our values matter. This is the best way to put a society together. And you don't show that by being arrogant and screaming at people that disagree with you. Uh, which I fail at all the time, but it's through those actions, whatever you do, if you're a true capitalist, right? You, you have a specialization, maybe you're a carpenter. You can do things through your work and who, how you purport yourself in life, I think that will come a long way to putting our society in a better place. So I don't know. That no, I agree with that. We can talk. No, I agree. I, it's, that's where I think it needs to start. No, I agree. I think I agree with with a lot of that. I think the only I think the only real genuine way our country will be saved is if there is a bottom up grassroots individual based spiritual revival and and religious reawakening in this country and it only happens at the individual level. This is not something that can be engineered from the top down. This is not something that can happen other than on an individual basis. I think frankly, you know, focusing one of the things that you know i came to realize eventually for my own mental well-being and is that i don't control national politics i i can have very little say over what happens with their national politics scene what i can control is how i interact with people on my own daily basis how i treat my friends how how much of a family man i am and so those are the things that we can control and those are the things that we can focus on and so i think that's a, a good way to and frankly it's one of the reasons that i try to i mean when I go on when I go on these Twitch panels, I don't call people names. I, I'm I'm respectful and kind to people. I can't tell you how many messages I get. If you actually could see my Twitter notifications and YouTube notifications and and comments on Twitch, I get nonstop messages about people saying, Wow, lecture fan, I don't know how you do it. How do you go on those chan on those things and people are so rude to you, people are so toxic to you, calling you the worst of the worst things, and you don't respond in kind. And and so I I you know take that it's I, I take that as a huge compliment because I I try really hard not to treat people poorly like that. And the way that these leftists on Twitch treat people, it, it's truly just shocking and disgusting. The the name calling and the disrespect and mean, mean spirited, like truly mean spirited stuff. You know, it's really nasty. Yeah. And the other yeah, time so, I got really fired up. I'm oh, sorry. Kurt. I, yeah. Cause, uh, I see exactly what you guys are talking about. I felt like that the, uh, the church lost the game whenever they started allowing the government to fix some of the problems inside their communities where they should have been stepping up back in the day. Right. I feel like the church has gotten distracted over the last few, you know, decades to be sure, if not the last century or two. 
right? What was the church supposed to do like during the Great Depression, just as an example? Like what, like they already were working at capacity. If you look at, if you look at church history back then, that was where people were, you know, when people were literally starving to death during the Great Depression, they were the number one uh, giver of aid, right? It wasn't like the church disappeared and it's not like the church is gone now. I mean, the biggest food banks in my, in my town are all churches. They're all religious institutions. And I, I'm not saying they're still here helping. The issue is that like, okay, they're helping, but to what extent are people actually involved in those communities? Church, church attendance is dwindling. People don't identify, they're identifying as more, more often as secular. So, right. So it's not the, it's not the, the goodwill stuff that they're, you know, it's more about, right. Them using like, for instance, if you go into any church and you mentioned the drug war, right, they're going to automatically go to these things need to be illegal and they won't even stop and do the common sense think of, uh, like me and Rob, you know, the drunken debates where we pointed out, like they were like, yes, I'm for the constitution. It's like, all right, then let me walk you through this process. Right. And then they're like, well, no, we still need to make it illegal federally. It's like, come on, man. Like Christians uh, in the, in the country, it doesn't seem like slow down enough in their personal, like how they would like uh, if crack was fucking legalized tomorrow, I'm not going to go do it. Right. Just because I know crack is a bad idea. Right. But that right there is the point when it comes to principle and it should be the principle for Christians is to hate the sin, but not the sinner. And then when they make these things illegal, ultimately they're punishing the people, right? It, it's, well, you, you can't, I, I don't know get, how, how well you want yeah, to, I don't know. I, I think I disagree with you. I disagree with you. Cause I think well, that it's you a gotta be, to have, you gotta balance. to have cocaine and to have opiates widely available to people because ultimately you making it legal will mean more people will be addicted and we're going to have even more deaths of despair, even more like these drugs are not Did good. you seen Breaking Bad? Yes, I have seen Breaking Bad. Okay, so you saw then, and it, and it took you through the history there of meth, right? How back in the 70s it was made in such a way to where it was blue, right, rather than white because of the ingredients that were being used, right? And that how the blue kind was actually a little bit safer than the white kind, right? So here's reality. Just, just check it here for a minute, right? Because the government made that illegal, then the the market is now trying to get around the government, which it's going to every single time, right? Trying to attack it in that way is only going to cause the problem to move around. This is where you got to have some type of military tactician strategic mindset, which like, what's the problem here, right? The problem is, is that people are making... State on your southern border might help, but... I don't know. <laughs> here's here. Let me. Here's where I disagree with you a little bit. The users bit. are being the, the the users are being exploited, right? So we've got to be able to educate people ahead of time that these things and what they're going to do to them, and to, and to hopefully have the community around the people that are learning this stuff to be supportive in that way. Well, a church is a great way to do that, right? And I feel like that in a lot of churches, they get stuck into this is the church house, this is where we meet, and then they don't. They don't branch out into their communities just to like walk around and check on people. You know what I mean? The, the, the only the only thing, yeah, the, the, I don't think it's fair to blame. 
I mean, you're, 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 we're talking about how did we get to such spiritual rot and cultural rot in the country? And it's not the church's fault. It's like, you can, everybody's got, everybody's got an experience about a Christian or a church that wronged them or were hypocritical or everything like that. It's not their fault. The, the person, who, if, if, if you're an American, if you're an American and you have no relationship with God and you have, and you are getting your spiritual fulfillment from the government and from all this other uh, cultural rot that we have in this country, it's your fault. It's nobody else's fault. And so that's why it's, this is all about an in, on an individual basis. And so, I mean, everybody could, could say a, a comment about, you know, a church that wronged them or something, but it's not, it's not the church's fault that we got into this situation. It's the individuals that have chosen to move to the government to try to get their spiritual well, fulfillment. Let me ask you this. Who, who was it that you think was probably a large part of the voting block in order to get the war on drugs started? I, I that was bipartisan. I mean, that was almost all the, all Americans yeah. supported that. Lecture fan, be fair. You know that the Christian conservatives, right? We're lining up to sign that bill because when I grew up, right, I was towing that line of the drug war, every single bit of it, because I saw my mom uh, basically go through her whole life addicted to some kind of damn pain pill. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you stories, man. No, right? well, the, so, no, the drug war, I think the drug war is a little bit different, though, than what we're talking about here, in my opinion. I think the drug, I mean, and we can debate the drug war, but... You can, I mean, just blaming. We're we're talking about why why is our country so spiritually rotten and culturally rotten, and, and how are we gonna get there? Like, and you're blaming the drug war on the churches. I, I don't. I'm not. There's no connection there. That's not that's the fault. That's why. Then then allow me, right, to to, to clarify, right. Okay. So, what I'm talking about is like, when I was growing up, I went to church on Sunday. Like we had planned events where we would go out into the community to do different things with different people. Right. Like sometimes we would, uh, there was a, a wood shop class that was being held at another church. You know what I mean? And, and different things in the community. So we kind of got around and got to know people and, and, uh, obviously had food banks and, and these things set up for the community. And what you, what I've seen as I've traveled around the country and a lot, especially around the cities, right? And maybe that's where I need to be a little bit more specific is in and around the cities. I feel like there's a hell of a lot that like there's just not as much community outreach to find out what's going on with the people inside of the communities because i mean like a city block could really hold like what a half a million have you, you know like, crazy amount of people so there's a, there's a psychological uh um uh like phenomenon that's been observed for the last hundred years in 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 psychology and it's uh, i forget what it's called it's but it, the, the concept is essentially that you can only care about so many people and the hard limits like a thousand people that you actually care about and it's not that you don't care about other people. It's just that when you're thinking of helping individuals, when you're thinking of actively doing something or engaging with somebody, or you know their first name, or you are, have some sort of kinship with them, there's a, a certain extent that where you just get stuck. And when you start talking about cities, if there aren't enough churches, if there aren't enough people who are faith living their faith, you really do get stuck because there's too many people. If you're talking about a small town with 5,000 people, 10,000 people, 15,000 people, right? Um, that's actually more of a, in my opinion, a city, but whatever, 2,000 people, 1,000 people, okay? Like 
it's going to be pretty easy for you as a church community, as 50 people to know everybody and to help everybody. But in a city, the problem gets so magnified because you're stacking people up into these little cubicles. It's no wonder they, they don't, they aren't conservative. It's no wonder they don't have good quote unquote cultural values. It's no wonder they don't care about each other. They're rats in a cage. Yeah. You know, I, what I would like to know, I think it'd be a really interesting like study or think piece or something to really dig deep into why, why is it that cities and humans living in cities turn it it turn it turns so bad and people get so negative and it destroys community and it destroys mental health and and people become depressed and more drug use and you know what is it really about cities that are so terrible to the human spirit well, i can say I, like i don't I always blame it on too many faces because you just become another person in a sea of people and you're uncaring like if i if i'm walking down the street in my small town and 2000 people I know the weird guy's name who's walking, even the weird guy, like I know who he is. And you know what everybody does? Hey, good to see you. If you don't wave, you're a dick. If you don't wave, you're yep. an asshole. Like, nobody's going to wave. That's where I live, too. Yeah, yeah that's know. the way it is where I'm at. And if you and, wave uh, at somebody, look, like, like, they'll, they'll eyeball you. Like, you want to you want to go? Like, you want to fight? That's what they'll That's what they'll do. Yeah, and I mean, maybe it's something like evolutionarily, right? Maybe there's something that has to do with like an unconscious perception of scarcity of resources when so many people are around. I don't know. I do know this. They've done studies like with um, they'll put someone that looks homeless unconscious on the sidewalk. They'll put them in a suburban or rural community and almost immediately someone will stop. Are you okay? And of course, this happens more in cities, but it's it's appalling. People just step over them. Right. Like when I go to the like, I look, I hate to even talk about this stuff because I'm not trying to brag. And by no means am I a better person than anyone else. But I remember like the first time I live an hour and a half northeast of Pittsburgh. So like in sixth grade, there's a science center in Pittsburgh called the Carnegie Science Center. So my mom gives me like 20 bucks and sends me off to the science center with my school. And there's a gift shop there. And I gave my 20 bucks to the first homeless person I saw. I'd never seen a homeless person. And, and someone who was just in sixth grade, I was like, this is terrible. What 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 happened with this guy? How's he here? What happened? And that that's still how I feel when I go out in the city. Now, even me, though, you get more jaded to it. What are you going to do? Give 20 bucks to every homeless person you see? Well, I'm someone who makes 15 bucks an hour. I don't have the resource. So then you think, well, do I give it to anyone? To everyone, do I give it to everyone? So maybe there's some of that psycho uh, psychology that's going into it, but... Yeah, I mean, I don't just like Endernex, you're absolutely right where I live. You know, it's like everybody knows everyone, um, you know, and it, it's it's the type of community where, you know, this is just a story. I used to bartend. My dad's still a bartender. bartender. It's at an Eagles club. It's kind of like a moose club or something like that. There's a guy. I, hopefully this person's not watching because I don't mean anything ill by this, but there was a guy whose house burned down pretty much just a drunk, right? Like, it's like, eh. And everybody knew if you give this guy money, he's probably going to fetter it away. But you know what happened? The community came together and they literally got money. A broke community. People, everyone broke. And they pulled together thousands of dollars to help this guy out. This wasn't someone with a great reputation. This was, hey, someone that helped him out in this community. And that's just laws. You know, I always, if you're wondering, like, what I'm talking about, go back and watch Crocodile Dundee. Right. There's this scene where he first gets to New York where he's like, good day, good day. And he's waving to everyone and they're just like flipping him off and stuff. And he doesn't get it. Right. Then it's like he's talking to the first guy. He's like, I'm going to be in town for a while. Maybe I'll see you about. And the guy's just like, what? What are you talking about? But where he came from, that's how you interact with people. 
you know everyone's name, kind of, you know, you're there to help them. They're a person. When you're in New York, everyone's fake. You're not a person. And so, you know, there is, there's something psychologically about that. Um, I, don't, I don't know how to fix it. I hope that, you know, there's a trans, uh, you know, a transition that goes to more uh, suburban and rural areas, but it, it's tragic. There used to be culture in cities and it was like these, um, it, would, it would be like Italian ghettos or it'd be like these, uh, the, the, like whatever, the Hungarian ghetto or whatever, ghetto, I'm using the term ghetto loosely. I don't, I don't mean it as like economically right. depraved area, but the reason it would be like that is because you would have all these different family units who immigrated from all these different places and they would live in the same city block in the same building for generations and generations and to the point where your grandma's upstairs and you know, your family's there and your son just bought the place downstairs. That doesn't really exist anymore in cities. And you've seen a moving away from this style. Instead, we're, we're, I mean, maybe you're moving every five years. Maybe you're moving every 10 years. That's, that's the normal story for a lot of American families. So how can you become attached to people when you're constantly moving around? You don't care about anybody. And that's a lot and to, look, to do with like the, the effects that the war on drug had with removing a lot of people out of society as well. I mean, we have what, what is like 4 million people locked up here in this country. And I don't even know what I, I know. There's a delineation between violent and nonviolent, right? Uh, but that's it's, it's quite a bit of people. So then, and then also with the economic side of things, we have people having less and less kids. Uh, the more physically responsible that someone is, the less children they decide to have, right? And then the individuals that uh, can get government assistance end up having more kids because now it becomes an incentive so like how how what's your fan you're the oldest here i think right so so old man tell me how we're supposed to fix this uh i don't know i was gonna say one of the things i think it might be is sort of a disconnect from nature honestly because i don't know if you guys have seen a lot of studies coming out recently about how they say if you get if you spend at least two hours in nature a week your like levels of mental health and levels of happiness are like way high. And I mean, just for me personally, like I've lived in, I lived in Miami for three years, um, you know, and growing up, growing up in small town, Montana, you know, I, I went camping all the time and we'd go hiking and I'd, I'd ride my bike down to the river and swim in the river and float the rivers on the, you know, and so then to, but then to live in a, a city like Miami for three years, I started to even experience sort of like, you know, I stopped, I stopped putting my grocery cart away, you know, like that's such a small thing. But like when I, in Montana, everybody puts their grocery cart when done in their, when they're done shopping, mm -hmm. they put their grocery cart away in Miami, nobody did it. And so then like after a year of living there, I stopped doing it, even though it was like, really, I felt that terrible about it, but it was just like this impact that living in the city had on me. I think part of it might be sort of the disconnect from mother nature. Cause I think, you know, there's a reason why there's a reason why. You know, this all the world's spiritual leaders always go up onto a mountaintop. You know, you're gonna. You know yeah. what, lecture fan? I know you're not about to laugh, right? But you're about to laugh at what I'm about to tell you, though, right? Because I was on a panel, right? And they asked me, said, "Well, CTV, what do you do for your mental health?" I said, "Well, shit. Whenever I feel like I need to get a hold of myself, I go for a walk in the mountains, right?" Hell yeah. And <laughs> uh, a, a, a rural drive for me as well, like hi hiking, of course, yep. and camping. 
but like this is these are just how i clear my headspace you know it's funny and, and conservatives are so much more in touch with nature and it's funny because you know the leftists who live in these concrete jungles they think they care about the environment so much but it's like you know how like why do all the people that i know that actually are in touch with nature and spend time in the wilderness and stuff are conservatives and their solution and their solution to the climate crisis is to shove everybody in cities like <laughs> good, good idea. right when it goes back to right like so one of the things i was going to add i'm glad you said that lecture fan because i was going to bring that up but one of the things i was going to add is the more we rely on government for our well-being the less personal responsibility and charitability we feel the need to have so you don't care about your neighbor anymore because the government will take care of it right i don't have to worry about it i live in the city there's some bureaucracy somewhere that's going to make sure that that person has a meal tonight i'm going to step over them. i don't care that doesn't happen in the smaller areas, right? In the more rural and suburban areas where you're actively concerned, what can I do to help? You know, and a great example, right? What you were just talking about with like, you know, spending time in nature. One of the lessons I learned early in life is if you're going to do good deeds, you don't announce that you're doing good deeds, right? Like, so, you know, I remember my parents, we, after Thanksgiving, after church one time, my parents, by no means, you'd look at them, they're not like overly, like what you consider overly like church going people. Like they curse and swear. They're, <laughs> they're, but I love them. They're great people. We went and we picked up like $100 worth of groceries and we dropped them off on uh, someone's porch step. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to tell him. He'll be so happy. And my dad was like, don't you say a word. The point of leaving this food wasn't so they think, wow, you're a good person. The point was to help them. That's it. Don't tell anyone. Right? That's it. And like, that was an important lesson to me. So one of the things I find it ironic, all of these leftists talk about like saving the earth and saving the environment. You know who I see out there actually doing physical things to help the environment? Hunters, farmers where I live, people, because they value that resource. They understand everyone, everyone I know, if they don't get a deer in hunting season, they're struggling to feed their family throughout the winter. It's just the truth. And if you're if you don't get a deer, I guarantee your neighbor gives you part of theirs. Guarantee. That's the way it works. Those people care about the environment. They they understand what what nature is and the importance of trying to do your best. Now that doesn't mean that you know to, to them it's a it's a literally bottom up approach as opposed to this. Well, if we just got rid of all fossil fuels, everything would be fine. That's not reality. And this utopian approach that we see that's guarding on the left. Oftentimes, in the name of solving the big harm of climate change, the, 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 there's actual real things we could be doing, like with your forest right in your town or in Flint, Michigan, with the drinking water. All of that gets overlooked in the name of, well, we got, we got to solve climate change. It's climate change. And uh, yeah, I always thought that was ironic. These people aren't announcing it. You might not know it. But yeah, you know, if you want like names of groups, look at like someone like Ducks Unlimited, you know, uh, it's kind of a hunting organization. Uh, look at the great work they do with the environment. Tons of hunter groups that do this awesome work, mostly conservative, but you have to have a political bent to do it. Yet they don't get the piece. It is instead we look at people like, you know, John Kerry jet setting around on airplanes using more fossil fuel in one day than I'll use in a year. And he's supposed to be the person we look at as taking care of the environment. No, to jump to jump off that, one of the worst things about using the government and, and supporting government as as your way of doing charity and and you know it takes away it takes away the fulfillment that a person gets from from helping somebody and so you know if you actually if you actually go and help somebody 
personally, your neighbor, somebody else, you know, that's a very fulfilling experience for a person to do that and help somebody and, and give them money or do work for them, physical work, do whatever it is. If all you do is, oh, I just, I just support higher taxes on other people and I want the government to take money from somebody else and give it to somebody else. And that's my charity. That's the charity work I do. That totally robs the transaction of all of the benefits that it gets to both people, and it and it removes the a lot of the other benefits to actually helping people with responsibility and follow up and all these other things. And so, it's almost like this, you know, reinforcing circle where you know this disconnect from other humans and this anti-human mentality where let's just let's just have the government take care of the poor people that way i don't have to take care of the poor people that just causes more and more of of this sort of disconnect from our neighbors and and and, and harms harms us of all the benefits that we really get from both the giver and the receiver of when you do personal charity in person you know charity I'm glad you said so, that because I'm going to be honest with you. One of the things that I've struggled with since I've started streaming is that whenever somebody's donating bits or subbing and stuff like that, and I'm starting to get a little bit better about it, but like it's a really humbling thing for me, and I don't always know how to react to it. So I'm going to be honest with you. Like watching your reactions is kind of helping me. Like you know, because uh, it is it's a it's a two way street in that, and and, and then. I, I don't know how to react because I've been more about just doing things for myself and and uh, not having to interact with a lot of people because of the experiences that I've had, right? So, like, now getting out here in the community and when that happens, uh, the reactions, my reaction to it says a lot and, and I'm just trying to get a little bit better, I guess more gracious. It's not like I'm not, you know what I mean, like... There's nobody you know, more. There's nobody more thankful than I am for a hundred bits. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though, right? Because it's it's hard. Like I'm not used to that. Uh, I've never worked as a stripper, for example, right? So, I... well, the mere but... fact that you think that you worry about it shows that you're probably a better person than most. That's just like gimme, I, gimme, gimme. I feel the I same cry. way. I, I cried the first time I got a sub on Twitch. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay? I felt like I didn't deserve it. I, no, this was like the first. I, I, this was before I was ever even thinking about doing politics on Twitch. I did a video game stream to like 10 viewers back in, I don't even know. It was like 2017. And uh, I, you know, I have my small little community and I just got affiliate and somebody subscribed. And I, I sat there and I cried on stream like an idiot because I was like, I don't deserve this. But like, it's just two bucks. It's two bucks. Okay. But like, it, it took, it, it took means something, man. I'm with you. I'm with you. So to, to bring it back around to a minute ago, though, right? Uh, you, Rob, you're talking about the bottom up approach, right? So mm -hmm. here's the, remember what that trophic cascade video? I feel like, they don't understand like how nature works with that regard, right? And it's funny that while they will sit there and agree that the human beings are the apex predators of the planet, right? Without a doubt, mm -hmm. everything competes with us. There's, there's not even a question, right? But they don't also at the same time understand what the role of the apex predator would be in a natural environment like that as far as trying to control populations of not only the other predators in the area, but also the creatures that are dependent upon them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's really like for as much as they claim to love 
nature and want to protect it, right? Uh, there's been a few cases where I've been talking to a lefty with regard to, uh, say, like wind turbines, right? And and we get to the conclusion of, oh, fuck the birds, right? And I'm like, no, we can't in any case, right? We got to protect mm -hmm. the birds. So I'm just going to remain philosophically consistent here. We're going to protect the birds and... Because we it was like uh, we first we were, we were going over clean energy with the the wind turbines, and then we got over to the uh, Keystone pipeline and where it was going to be running, and because of some sandhill cranes uh, that would have been affected, that was the reason why. And I was like, you know what? If I don't want these birds getting fucked with, then I don't want these birds getting fucked with either. So we got to figure out how to make it work. And there's so many pipelines running across everywhere anyway. It's like. Surely there's a way to be able to, you know, make it work there. So, you know. I mean, there, there's a lot of things to say. Yeah, oftentimes, in the name of feelings, they'll implement policies that actually is detrimental in reality to the cause they claim to have. Like, for example, shutting down the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, they're just going to use older pipelines or build pipelines different that have more leaks and things like that. Or they'll send energy through trucking and things like Like, it, it's going to continue. We see there's all sorts of problems. You, That's the truth. There's almost no policy that exists that's a perfect policy. Like, there's pros and cons to almost everything. And when you simplify it to, well, I'm moral because I want X, then there's often a bunch of bad things such as, oh, we want wind power. Well, now there's a bunch of people if it's unreliable that suffer because of that. And there's other causes of the environment. You know, the best example, I last recycling. When I was in debate in 2004, teams would stand up and say, we need to recycle and glass would be one of the things. We had a ton of evidence. You know where glass recycling plants normally go? Inner city black neighborhoods. And they're a net increase in emissions. So actually, recycling aluminum at that time in 2004 was actually beneficial. Glass, it actually required more fossil fuels to recycle glass than it did to just create new glass. So in the name of feeling good, you're increasing emissions and where? Right in these inner city neighborhoods, the people that you claim to know most about. But they didn't care because it made them feel good. You know, the other thing I was going to say, lecture fan, when, when, uh, when you were speaking there was not only is there this idea, we'll leave the government solve this. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a role for government to be a safety net. I'm not saying that. I'm saying once we rely so heavily on that, we say, we'll just redistribute wealth and take care of everyone. And the idea of personal responsibility and charity goes out the window. We start to see a lot of problems. You see this same problem in what I call woke capitalism, right? The truth is, and I get this from Jordan Peterson and what, how do you define the right and the left? Jordan Peterson defines it as hierarchies are inevitable. And the right says hierarchies are inevitable and they're good. But the left says, yes, but if we don't constantly interrogate them, corrupt people could get at the top of the hierarchy and we should look out at people at the bottom of the hierarchy. So both are necessary. In order, you need that yin and yang, which I agree with. There is a role for the left. Like in many ways, like both you and Enternax have been saying, lecture where we don't just say GDP or be damned. Who cares if we're exploiting slave labor in China? We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't, right? But this is, so there's a role for what you would cons traditionally consider the left, but what happens? They engage in woke capitalism. So there's this postmodernist called Zizek, and he's got this film, it's called A Pervert's Guide to Ideology. And at one part of the film, he's talking about Starbucks. And he's like, here's what these people did. 
They were like, oh, we feel bad that we're exploiting poor workers in South America. So here's what we'll do. We'll charge an extra dollar for your cup of coffee. And then we promise we'll give it to poor workers in Brazil. And so then the person that's still exploiting that labor has a smile on their face because they're like, I did my part. I paid an extra dollar for my coffee. I'm a good person. And that's the exact opposite. And so we see all of this insane stuff. Labor in China. Chase Bank that was criminally investigated for unfair they're the only building in Minneapolis that didn't burn down a one city block. Why? Because they hung up a sign that said Black Lives Matter. I mean, it's insanity. The role that we need the left for traditionally, and by the way, I think it's not just the left because we're green. We're not for capitalism above all else for exploitation. But where are they? Those people are the ones that are out there right now saying, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, we got to support all of these corporations that are defending Black Lives Matter, even if they're using slave labor in China. You know, you could see it in the face of LeBron James, who already the shill for the government of China and their incredible inhumane practices. It just it boggles my mind. You know, I've noticed, Rob, whenever you move around a lot, your camera has to start working. Your sound starts cutting out. You know what it is? It's because um, it's because uh, uh, business owners and 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 multinationals, right, realize that they don't really care about culture. Actually, they care about making money and accumulating as much power as they possibly can. So you have these people who will go around. They'll change. They, if they think that the left is the cultural hegemon of the United States, which is very clear, then they'll give to that side. And that's why Joe Biden raised more money from every industry outside of coal and gas than Donald Trump did. It, you know, for, for being a dirty capitalist who wants to oppress all the poor people, Donald Trump sure did seem to not get a whole lot of big corporate backing. Uh, traditional business industry and, and multinationals and all of these different industries all backed Biden. Why is that? Because they don't care about the cultural issues, they'll signal it them all. They'll signal to them all day. They'll give it. They'll they'll let you. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if in 20 years you have mainstream liberals being like, "Yeah, you can have gender reassignment surgery for kids. Eight-year-olds can get their you know can get their uh, gender reassignment surgery, something like that." I wouldn't be surprised if they go that far because they don't care. All they want is the 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 god for these people is their money, is their power. They don't care which party they have to go through to get it. They don't care what culture is in the society because they don't, they're not attached. They're not loyal to the United States. They have their investments all over the planet. If the United States economy collapses, they got investments in China, baby. <laughs> they got positions in the party for all we know. Right. No, it's absolutely true. And I say this all the time. Like, look, I might disagree with a lot of the progressives on the left, but that doesn't necessarily necessarily mean they're terrible people and i have legitimate real world friends that are progressives that are bernie supporters big black lives matter supporters and one of the things i told them i don't necessarily agree with your agenda but just just a, i don't want to say advice just my take on this is you're making a huge mistake when you're aligning yourself with the people that you would consider the most immoral right so when your protest is sponsored by nike um, you know, when every major corporation is like, yeah, you did it. And your entire argument is, is racist. And pretty much every institution in the system is like, you're right. Keep, keep going. Like you're directing your protest and your anger to like Trump, to Trump supporters. Like you're going to Appalachia, the people that are also struggling, you're furious at them. 
you're demanding they reject whiteness or Trumpism needs investigating or this or that. Why don't you look at the people that you claim to be your allies? Because Cicero said this best, right? Like, you can suffer enemies outside your gates, but the ones within are the ones that are really damning. It was my mind to see these progress. Like, you heard take? You know what the best thing would have been for Black Lives Matter and most of these progressives? For Trump to win. Because at least then their movement would have had steam. Now what's their movement? Joe Biden just milk toast being like, sure, sure, we'll take care of your issues. Uh, yeah, I'll give a speech condemning whiteness or something. And then away we go. Back to the way things evolve. No, it's, it's, it's really going to be bad for them. If they... If they wanted to create a fascist, this is how you do it. You go back to the yep. ineffective policies of the Obama administration, and you go back to, I mean, it just milk toast, passing of the torch to one uniparty member back and forth, because that's what you did. Joe, Joe Biden is a member of the uniparty. He's been in Washington for 40 plus years. <laughs> like, what is this guy going to do? He's going to go in there. For all we know, for all we know, you know, I, I still can't get over this. If one of Trump's... Uh, 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 children had had a connection to china as strong as hunter biden's connection yep. we would have heard about it every day for four years but we're not hearing a peep because hunter biden that poor guy was a drug addict it's like all of the vices that they use against the opposition right they accused don jr of being a drug addict of being a cocaine addict all the things that they're they think are horrible 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 for the opposition to do it's like, oh, no, this poor little puppy dog, Hunter Biden. Oh, he was a victim of you, the Ukrainian gas companies that were paying him, you know, ridiculous salaries to do who God knows what. Well, that's that's why that's why we're going to see and we're seeing the beginnings of it now in a massive, massive civil war in the Democrat Party. And if you watch the mainstream media right now, what the what the mainstream media is obsessively talking about is a civil war in the Republican Party about how there's this huge divide in the Republican Party. And as as we all know, whatever they accuse the Republicans of, that's what they have going on. And so there is no divide in the Republican Party. 90, 90 to 95% of all the Republican, the Republican base all agree with Trump's policies, essentially. So there is no divide, massive divide in the Republican Party. Sure, there's a healthy debate amongst libertarians and conservatives, but... Um, that's nothing compared to the Democrat divide in these the the ultra woke leftist communist socialist versus like the Joe Biden corporate Democrats or whatever and and Joe Biden is like I I can't believe these leftist socialist communists actually supported Joe Biden and like did it with a straight face like are you kidding me they're gonna because they're they're, they're gonna have a, such a civil war. No, no, no. You have to understand, lecture fan, it's because Donald Trump is an evil fascist who is going to destroy America and kill all the non-white people. Yeah, that's what they believe. That's what they truly believe. Maybe not that hyperbolic, that's but that's essentially what they'll say. Um, and, and I always tell them, I'm like, you realize, like, you're too insane to make it out of the city, right? Like, nobody will listen to you outside of your urban environment. <laughs> right, like, if you were right. actually reasonable, like, there used to be these types of, like, uh, socialist movements in – in like the Appalachian Mountains or the Rocky Mountains. There, there were actual socialists that existed. You know who they were though? They were like preachers. They were, they were individuals of faith and they preached like Jesuit Marxism or whatever it was, like some weird quasi ideology. And they go around and they'd be like, you know what? Uh, you're getting screwed over, you know, like you're getting fired from the coal mine, whatever it was. Well, we're gonna go there and we're gonna go to the government. We're gonna demand unionization, whatever it was. 
They can't do that because they, if they showed up at these miners' doors with their purple hair and their earrings and go, uh, excuse me, can I talk to you about intersectionality and Marxism? <laughs> They're just going to laugh at their faces. Like, Yep, that's exactly. And it's like you were saying, Andrew, that's like what they accuse, and you as well, Electric Man, what they accuse you of. It's like what they're doing. So I listen to people tell me that Donald Trump was this crazy authoritarian. You remember, like, to me, this was the seminal moment in Trump's presidency, May 31st, where a bunch of people rioted in D.C. and attacked the White House. And the reality, there's, there's a bunch of, like, truths that we're not allowed to say out loud. Here's one of the truths. Why was the police reaction different January 6th to May 31st? You want to know why? Because they knew that the leftists would get violent. That's why, because they've proven it over and over and over again. So it's like, here they come. We know they're going to get violent. They announced that they were going to try to storm the White House. That's what they did. Anyways, after that, Tom Cotton writes an op-ed in the What was the reaction? One, they called Trump a bunker bitch. And second, they said that would be authoritarianism, right? Now, in the name of fighting authoritarianism, they elect Joe Biden, who puts 25,000 troops in D.C., puts up right. fence up, raises the wire. They're starting a 9-11-style commission to go after Trump support. Everything that they claimed they were fearful of Donald Trump, literally in the first month of Biden's presidency, not only is it occurring, they're cheering it on. They're actively well, it cheering it on. Wait, you have to understand, there was an insurrection. They almost took over the entire government. Right. And, uh, you know, we I don't know about you, but I'm really scared of Al-Qaeda coming out of the woods and in like uh, taking over the government that's definitely happening you know and even in the most like radical places the most radical places for both the left and the right it's the it's the west coast it's oregon and washington has the highest numbers yep. of leftists of, of of dangerous leftists as well as white nationalists it has the highest white nationalist presence out of any state in the entire union okay this is where they go this is where they set up their compounds okay even in those states where some of these people like supposedly what where are they where are they? What, where, what state? Well, yeah, why were they taking over the Oregon government? Why were they taking the Washington government? Even the most radical fringe elements of right-wing society have done nothing, have done nothing. And that's not because Joe Biden came in and was like, uh, yeah, I need the CIA and the NSA to make sure this doesn't happen. That's not what's happening, guys. That's not what's happening. In fact, it's funny. Didn't, didn't, wasn't there like a leftist who just got arrested for posting something on Facebook? Didn't this just happen? Like they're expanding yep. the state apparatus. Yep. They're expanding the surveillance state and they're arresting their own people. And they don't even care. They're still just like partisan hacks. No one exists. Like, I don't know. I, I'm an independent. I split my ticket, believe it or not. I vote for some Democrats. Crazy, crazy. The ones that I think are good, I vote for them. I don't care. Mm -hmm. But th that's like, these people would never consider that. These people are incapable of ever considering to vote for a Republican because in their mind, they're fascists. They're Nazis. They're crazy. And that's, I mean, that's been the biggest so, thing for... Go ahead, sorry, CTV. So, lecture, lecture fan, question for you then, buddy. Because I know you, you're going to have a, a brilliant answer, right? So, explain to me how we allowed, through the Constitution, the establishment of the parties as we know it today that got started in new hampshire back in 1913 1918 somewhere there with the first republican party i believe no abraham lincoln started Wasn't the it? republican party in the 1860s well with regard to it was the something changed like the well he was a leftist just so you know lecture fan when so. like the the state voting laws changed to because there was something that happened 
I remember going over it when I was looking into the Libertarian Party because they were talking about how they're the only other party that's on the ballot in all 50 states. Hmm. Are you talking about the direct election of senators, maybe? As opposed to the state legislatures? I'm not... I'm I don't remember know what, what it is. There's, there's something that... Like, for example, this is... I wish I had it in front of me, right? But the idea that I was trying to get to was, is why is it that I can't vote in a Democrat primary oh, okay. if I'm not on the in the Democrat party? And, you know, why do I have to be affiliated with the party in order to vote in that election? You okay. See what I'm yeah. No, that, and that varies by state. That's, that's different state by state. Some, yeah, some right. states have, some states have open primaries and some states have closed primaries. So that's just a state by state issue. Now it is, I think it is an interesting question about like, you know, these are private parties, you know, it's a Republican party and it's the Democrat party. These are private organizations, but they are like tied in with official like law in terms of uh, the primaries and, and stuff like that. And so there is some, you know, uh, laws that, I guess maybe pro you could say they prop up the two-party system, but in, in reality, I think the laws are just there to, uh, you know, deal with the reality that we have a two-party system. The reason we have a two-party system is because of our constitution and the winner-take-all system where you can win the entire seat with 51% of the vote. And so if you have a system where you can win with 51% 50, of the vote, you're going to, you know, you're going to naturally have you know, two parties each vying to get 51% of the vote as opposed to, you know, the, the parliamentary system where it's, it's completely different. Right. So, so then let me ask you this, because I feel like, I feel like that I shouldn't have to be affiliated with any particular party to be able to vote in those primaries. Okay. But why though, if you're not a member of the party, why should you get to tell a, a private organization? It's a private organization. They get to they get to you know choose who they want to be the leaders of their organization. Why why should you as a as an outsider to an organization get to have any say whatsoever in what an organization does if you're not a member of the organization? Because that organization in and of itself is attempting to prop up who we the people would then be able to select as possible candidates for a position inside of government, which it applies applicably to everybody, right? Well, it's so not like we that's... wanted. It's not like we wanted the party system to happen in America. So I kind of get where you're coming from. I would just say that, like, here's what ends up happening when you have a party infrastructure in a state. You have all of these local organizers who put in tons of work to do all of these different things to get all these different people elected. Oftentimes, they're working for people they actually don't like within the own party infrastructure. They're making sure people they don't like get elected because ultimately working together works much better than independently. So you have these types of people who are political operatives. They're invo very involved in the process. And then you come in and you're like, yeah, I've never actually voted for a Republican. I've never even like liked the Republican Party. Uh, I've always been like an independent and I feel like I deserve a voice when you can't even bother to be registered as a Republican. Meanwhile, those people are putting in all the effort. Their vote counts the same as yours. Yeah, CTV, See, what I, I would for me whenever what I would say to your your point CTV is what you're saying is really the reason why I think you should be a member of the party. Uh because we live in we live in a two-party system and and that's 
just the way it is. It's it's not going to change. There's it's just not going to change. That's how we have. And so the fa what you just said in terms of yeah, the parties the parties get to control you know who are going to be the candidates and who, who are most likely going to win. And so if you if you want to be an effective you know policy advocate, if you actually want to make changes to and you want to have an impact on our politics. You have to you have to join a party and work within the party. And the reason that I join a party and and am a member of a party is not because I agree with everything that's in the party or every person that's in the party. It's because I want to have a say over what that what it means to be a member of that party. So I'm not a Republican because I agree 100 percent with every Republican of all time. I'm a Republican because I want to be the one that gets to decide what it means to be a Republican and what's in the platform and everything else. And think of it this way, CT. I, I don't think you're making like it's not cut and dry. I agree with some of the points you're making. Uh, there have been people in Pennsylvania that have said the same thing to me. They just get interested in politics and say, I'm interested in this particular candidate. Why can't I vote for them in the primary? Well, you're not registered. And they're upset about that. And I get that. Right. But think of what could happen if you didn't do that. Right. So let's say you were a shrewd member of the Republican or the Democratic Party. You could convince an awful lot of people. Look, it doesn't matter who wins our primary. They're going to be our person anyways. But what we want to do is skew the opponent's primary in a way that we think it will benefit us to win the general election. So a bunch of you could then decide instead of voting in the Republican primary to vote in the Democratic primary and vote the person that you think would be like the most radical or the least likely to win the general election, right? And so what happens is the Democratic Party be like, this isn't fair. There are people literally in voting in our primary with the idea of sabotaging our organization, right? They're not even voting because they like these people. They're voting because they think they could harm. And I know this has happened the alternative way. In fact, Hillary Clinton's entire strategy was to get Donald Trump to win the primary because she thought, oh, it'll be a walk in the park. Big mistake. Who would have thought by Hillary Clinton? But um, that's that's the type of stuff that could happen. So I agree with you. And in theory, it should be like well, we should all be able to vote a level of the election. But there, it is more complicated than that. I guess when I sit back and I think about it, though, right? Like, let's assuming I'm running this organization, right? I'm obviously going to have some type of, uh, say we'll kind of use military terms, right? So we're going to have some type of spy network in place to try to find out the intelligence on the other side, right? If they're planning on making some type of devious move as if, you know, to get a bunch of independents to go this way, right? Or maybe we're going to send all of our Democrats over here to vote in the Republicans, right? Well, you put that information out there for everybody to know, and then you get more participation across all of the different blocks, and then maybe... It kind of gets you more balanced out to which one is supposed to be the best voice anyway, because everybody's literally participating in everything. Maybe uh, and, and, problem is with that. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Wait, it. Here's what could, well, yeah, Endernax, your audio just got really weird. Oh, I'm sorry. Is oh, you. So oh, you. You on. You unmuted yourself. You unmuted on whereby. Oh, mean to. There, there you go. go. No, but, but think of what happens then, CTV. Then someone says, hey, don't, you know, Rob's running against CTV as a Republican for this primary. And CTV's like, I have credible information that a bunch of independents and left-wingers are, are voting in the Republican primary for Rob because he's really the Democrat's choice. I mean, it, it just, it seems like an added step. I mean, I, it's something that I'd have to think about state to state. Don't get me wrong. 
wrong. I don't think there's no argument on that side, but I certainly understand why the Republican committee and the Democrat committee would say, we don't want outsiders that maybe don't have our committee and our party's best interest at heart being the deciding factor for who we nominate. Um, you know, there are other things like rank choice voting or something that maybe would be a better option for, and maybe you know, I don't know what I think about that in then maybe perhaps yeah, I, the best thing to do here would be to actually take the restriction off at the federal level. If you're running for federal office, right, then party affiliation shouldn't matter. Right? Um, I don't I, think I, there's I, any federal law that says party affiliation matters. Well, you can't vote in the, like, say, like, all of us are sitting here looking at all the Democrat candidates and all the Republican candidates. Right? Oh, you're saying for, like, president. But that's yeah. just because we let states ultimately decide. The, the parties went to a state system rather than saying, "Okay, we're just going to have a federal uh, primary." Yeah, I think even like they, for they even for federal even for federal offices, the states are still the ones that run the elections. Yeah. So, so I, I will it would say, be really... I think that we need we need some sort of reform to let third parties actually be viable. Yep. I I would rather have it doesn't. Okay, this is the one thing that I don't I really hate about the two-party system is that if you had a multi-party system in the United States, state legislatures would be the most insane crackpot of like feuding factions, but they would still get stuff done. You'd have like the libertarian faction in there. They'd be like, we want to end the war on drugs. We're chill with like abortion maybe or something. And then also, but we also want guns and we also like uh, want less government. So they work with the Republican, the Republican caucus, which would now probably be made up of like you know, traditional conservatives and religious conservatives. And it, they'd be like, okay, we, we'll work with you for less government regulation and uh, maintain our gun rights. And then they'd be like, oh yeah, by the way, Democrats, if Republicans ever try to take away abortion or they ever try to uh, illegalize drugs, we're, we're going to side with you on that bill. That would be how the dynamics would work. Except imagine now there's eight parties. Like that's what it would be the deal-making process. You'd be independent of all these different institutions that ultimately peer pressure individuals into conforming to whatever the party platform is. You have less independent thoughts. You have less debate because ultimately the party boss is going to come down and say, listen, you're going to make us look weak if you don't get on board with this. And you're going to do this for us because if you don't, then we're going to screw you out of the donors that you usually get. We're going to make sure that you don't have access to party infrastructure. So you, if you build your own independent party infrastructure outside of that, you have a lot more options. And that's why I like that system. But how do you get there is the question. Uh, I thought rank, I thought every third party in the country should be working on getting ranked choice voting in their state. Just there's just their state, not federal. Because if you do that and you build up a party in a and it, you can justify to a Republican, you can say, listen, you know, a libertarian leaning Republican, you can say, listen, you're not going to waste your vote. You're not going to waste your vote. You can put me as your first choice. And if I don't win, then your second vote is ju is just for it's just for the Republican Party, so they you they end up getting your vote anyways. That way, you can kind of start selling the third party idea. But I don't. Nobody's doing that. So yeah, yeah, it's not going to change. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's going to change. We live in a well, two party system. Always have. Okay, so so then let's just do the hypothetical, right? Because I like hypotheticals, right? So how do we, how would we go about? Because I, in the system that Indernex just described, I see there kind of being one central party, right, and then there being two, two, you know, each side off of that, and then the two, the Democrat and Republicans, and say Libertarian in the middle, right. The waters are going to churn in the Libertarian pool anyway, as far as where you're going to be able to get support. So then it ultimately would, in this case where we're at, rise the Libertarian Party up to. 
the more central voice between a lot of the radical ideologies or whatever, right? So, how do we get well, to something like that? Because I, I, it's either, it's either we get to something like that, or it's I need to be able to vote in both primaries. The Here's only, what you do. the only way to, you'd have to well, go parliamentary. I don't even know if you need that. I don't know if you need that because right now you have you have uh, like libertarians are winning in the current system in some states for state legislature positions. Well, is, is what I'll say. But if you have like ranked choice on a local voting system, I don't mean the federal election. I'm not talking about. Most people don't really realize that most of the most of the things that are going to affect their life actually happen at their state legislature in the first place. They don't happen in, in Congress. Yeah. But like, if you introduce ranked choice voting, let's say in California, okay, you'd have Greens, you'd have a Socialist Party, you'd have the Democrats, you'd have Republicans, you'd have Libertarians, and you probably have like I don't know some new third party that's like um, uh, like a, a faith based like maybe a Catholic uh, party or something. I don't know. Cause there's a lot of appeal in some Hispanic communities for this type of party, but I, that's not, you're not seeing that. And instead you just have a democratic controlled legislature where everybody's forced to kowtow to whatever the extreme elements of our, the party, or else you're going to lose access to the democratic party of California's resources. Okay. So since, since, since this other idea of the two churning inside is, it's not viable, right? Then how do we at least get to the point to where, uh, not a lot. Everybody can vote in each one of the party's primaries when it comes to who's going to be president, right? You can do uh, that in some states. In in some states, you can do that. You can. Depends on I the think state. New Hampshire is one, right? Yeah. Am, am I crazy or is it? New yeah, Hampshire? I mean, I don't know the ones you can't. I know Pennsylvania, you can't. I know that. Open. I mean, so this all comes down to each individual state, then. Yeah, each individual yes. state gets to decide if it's an open primary or a closed primary. Let's see. Right now, open primary states are Vermont, Virginia, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, Arkansas, Missouri, Illinois, Indiana. There's actually a lot, like a ton. There's way more than that. Right. Montana's I mean, one. Yeah, Montana's open primary. Yeah. So, so what happens? What, what's crazy in Montana? And so in Montana, um, you actually, if you get it, if you're an absentee voter in a in a primary election you get two ballots in the mail you get your you wow. get the republican ballot and then you get the democrat ballot and then you get to choose which one you want to vote and then you throw out the other one there you go oh, oh wait interesting factoid about montana was so one of the youngest women ever elected to uh to the state legislature in america was in montana just happened this last election cycle it was a 19 yeah. year old girl uh, who won in the Republican, Republican as a Republican? She yep. beat a Democrat incumbent. Yep. Yep. I just think that we, like you should be able to vote in both primaries because imagine, imagine like but what's when... the point of a primary then? Everybody's just going to vote. Everybody's going to vote in every race that, that defeats the purpose of the primary. Think I mean, I it, guess right? I could see if it you... from like a, a perspective of somebody who is actually morally consistent like let's say you had a Maybe libertarian that's problem that's my right? guess that, be that my is problem. your problem people would be assholes about it like you would sit there and be like you know what uh, i kind of like tulsi gabbard in the democratic party even though my preferred candidate is ron paul in the republican primary so i'm gonna vote for both these people and then you'd have somebody from i don't know you'd have somebody sit there and be like i'm gonna vote for the the guy who went up on stage and said the n-word in the past or something i don't know what it would be to screw the, the other party over that's what people would do they'd start making bets on who their their guy could defeat why are people got the, the clearest example of what would, 
but wait, here's what would happen. The clearest example, uh, I Rob Norm running as a Republican and a Democrat. Now what? You vote for me in both parties. You, you know what I mean? And everybody would just, everyone would just run under both parties. Though. They would just say, can well, you, you and then your that? primaries would just be general elections. I don't see why you could, but, but what would be to say you couldn't? You know, yeah. and so so then it would just the primary would just be a, if the only thing that I'm trying to affect is, yeah, if the only thing that I'm trying to affect is just every you know like people being able to vote in it. I don't think that that would then necessarily mean that the entire structure of how those possible candidates got to where they are needs to be affected by that, right? Well, everybody can everybody can vote. I mean, it, you just have to register in that. In certain states, you have to register, but there's yeah. nothing preventing you from joining a party or registering as a party so you can vote in that party's primary. Why don't we have like a, maybe there's like a a separate registration instead of with a party affiliation, just with like I don't know, governmental participant, right? You just say I'm participating or something like that, and then that allows you because you I don't know. I mean, at least if you're trying, you know what I mean. Because some people may go register to vote and just not even put anything, like no party affiliation or just independent, right. whatever. You know what of, I mean? We have a, we're at a time always in history party. where more people are registered as independent than, I think, for a long, long time. Which I, I think screams like, I think 67% of uh, Americans said that they support a third party. And that's like, they want like, a, there's people in the Republican Party who want a Trump party, and there's people in the Democratic Party who want a Socialist party. Uh, and I, I feel, I get the appeal. I just like, how are you going to do that? It's not going to happen. Like all of the entrenched powers are going to say, screw you. We don't want to give up our, our party power. Like that's not going to happen. The only way I see something like that happening is if there was a pretty good community and you know what, I'm going to play fantasy, fantasy, uh, Twitch gaming politics league here. You ready? Right. Let's just imagine the entire Twitch politics community and, and even the YouTube community got behind one particular person. Right. And started putting out their message into their local communities, sharing that information. That's how you could get around. And then the people could obviously tune in and be able to see these people. Right. And Good get an luck. idea. I'm just telling you, man, like that's how that's how you could do something like that at the grassroots level to be able to get out into society and avoid the whole party structure. Right. Otherwise, well, the, I mean, the, the, you're, you're right. I don't even know the, where the, to start. Well, like, you would have to have people knocking on these people's doors because that's the only real way. Like, if you know anything about political science, that's the actual way you convince people to vote for you or, or give you a chance. So you're going to have to develop your own, like, voter contact software. You're going to have to get access to all the voter rolls. You're going to need volunteers on the ground in each state. Like, it's just an insane. There's a reason third parties don't do very well right i'm just telling so you what I, would have to happen so, it's be i an ideal world but okay i i gotta get going guys. CTV, i gotta go so, my girlfriend's getting yeah I, I have to leave in a minute too. buddy i'll see you guys <laughs> it was great talking it was, to you we'll talk later, later, later man talking to you guys bye so i will tell you this ctv uh i ran for congress in 2019 as a republican and i tried to run in 2016 as a libertarian both in pennsylvania um it is one, you're right in theory that the best, the way that you, as an independent person, you can get your voice out there without party backing. The internet is a huge help of that. The idea of the Twitch community coming together for one person won't happen. I mean, it, but if, if like, right. that's the sort of stuff you need to use, you would need to use the internet effectively, but there's so much more to it. So, for example, when I ran as a libertarian, this is just something in Pennsylvania I ran into. 
I was refusing to take any donations and I was working entirely by myself with the exception of my wife was going to help me. Here's, here's what happened right out of the gate. I was told by someone in the Libertarian Party that I had to start a, basically a nonprofit, like a, a corporate, not a corporation, but a group where I had to name myself president, vice president, secretary, and treasurer, right? Then I had to fill out the paperwork for the donations that I was receiving bi-weekly or monthly. I can't remember. My response was, I'm refusing to accept any donations. They said, that doesn't matter. Because even if you don't, the Republican and Democratic parties will try to keep you off the ballot. And they'll say, they'll challenge you in court and say, he didn't fill out the financial paperwork. So then I, who work 70 hours a week, who's doing this by myself, not only do I have to collect enough signatures, which is a big task by myself to get on the ballot, I have to spend my own money because I'm not accepting donations. And even though I'm not accepting the donations, I have to fill out this paperwork, which I don't even know where to begin it to start every month because I'm basically running as an independent. I mean, I was third party. I had the Libertarian Party behind me. But they could offer me no help. The amount, that's just the bare minimum to get your name possibly on a ballot. Then to be able to overcome the fact that like, and I'm sure you would agree with this lecture fan, like there are so many people that just are straight ticket voters, right? Like there's just, like I go to my local Republican meetings. It don't, they don't care if they know the name of the guy that's a Republican. If he's a Republican, they're over any Libertarian, any third party, any Democrat. And it's their right to do so, you know? So how do you overcome that? And there's just these massive party infrastructures, even at your state and county levels, uh, that it would be so hard. Even if like, even if I had ideas that I knew everyone in my county would love, right? It's going to be so hard to overcome that. Is there an R next to your name? Is there a D next to your name? So, I mean, <clears throat> it's not going to change. It's, it's it, you know, there are steps we could take to drive it in that direction. But, you know, if you're out there and you're thinking, I'm more of a Trump person than a Mitch McConnell person, look, run for a primary yourself. Run for your school board. Run for local election. These things, if you start, it's going to be a real, real big uphill battle. And I think you're going to put a lot of energy into something and not get a lot of results out of it. Uh, but I agree. I would like to see more parties, too. It's just... You know, it is what it is. Well, like I, I would be best suited if I'm going to run for office. I feel like that the best thing would be federal office, because I would be one well, of that's those what candidates. What? Well, because I'd be one of those candidates. Like, look, the federal government does not need to be involved with this. <laughs> in a lot of cases, you know what I mean? They'd be like, well, you don't know the particulars about this, or you don't understand, you know, interplanetary fucking whatever you know what i mean it's like well that doesn't really matter the federal government shouldn't be involved with it right so <laughs> i don't disagree so I... and, and, uh, people said why didn't you run for state level and you want to know what my god's honest answer was because i know more about the federal level that's why like i'm not gonna run here's why you don't if you're out there please everyone that's listening you should run for office particularly but don't do it because you want a job if that if that's your reason for running just stop now Right. So people would ask me, why don't you run for state office? And I said, I don't know what I could add to that. I'm not going to run just because I might be able to win. That's a bad, bad reason to run for office, because once you start doing that, then you basically 
it's just about a paycheck. I'm not concerned about my constituents. So I would never run for an office that I didn't think that I was had something to add for being in that office. So I felt I knew more about federal politics. That's why I ran for Congress. But maybe you know a lot about your local township. Maybe you'd be well-suited for school board. Maybe you'd be well-suited for some sort of state office. Those things matter. And like Lecture Fan, I think, was saying, your local government has far impact over your life than the federal government. And so if you really changes, I mean, think of how good we could do if people like we're on this panel, we're in charge of school boards. Think of, think of how different it would be for our children that are, you know, being, I think the education is horrible in this country. But oftentimes people just look at the big picture. Well, I just want to, the, the biggest thing's president. We're just worried about who wins presidency. And ask, ask Pennsylvania how that's going. They didn't care about the off-year elections, so Democrats won them. Then they, through fiat, changed the way we vote, and Trump loses, right? Have you ever thought so, about I mean, it's for... important. These state local... Lecture fan, have you ever thought about running for office? Well, yeah, since I was a kid. I've well, always you... said, though, I've always, I've always... I've always said, though, that I would rather make a name for myself in the private sector um, versus be a career politician, which is why I'm focused on my career right now. I'd rather I'd rather have a career and then run for office later down the road as opposed to, you know, be a career politician. So well, hey, someday guys, I probably it's will. Been great. Like... I do have to go. All right, Rob. I have to get up at 6 a.m., so... Uh... <laughs> I'm gonna wrap up my stream once I get up. Thank you guys. I can't wait to talk again. I thought it was a fun night. So, yeah, yeah buddy, appreciate you coming sure. by. Yep, we'll see you both. Take it Later. easy. See you, man. All right, yep. everybody. That was that was a uh, normal America with Rob Nor, right? Uh, also known as the Bear, right? <laughs> All right, CTV. <laughs> I'm exhausted too. I hear you, man. I'm. It's getting about that time, but uh. Here's a question I got for you, right? I get the whole wanting to wait, but if the society itself is crumbling around us, right, which I think we can see happening, when you get to the point where maybe you thought you might, do you think there's going to be anything left? <laughs> good question. Really good question. Um, I don't know. I guess maybe, maybe not. I don't necessarily think that like the best thing I can do for the country is to run for office, though. Well, I don't know. I think uh, so. It's possible. I don't know, though. man. I know, I just know that there. It doesn't seem like the the real kind of level headed conservatism is is out there on display. No, it's See? really not. It really is not. So I don't know, man. I I just. I think about some of these bigger questions because my mind wanders from time to time and then I end up in like a crazy place and like, here's the question that I got for some hapless somebody that happens to fit the profile for the question. But yeah, like, what do we do, man? I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. I see how big the damn system is. It's one thing to have like prescriptions for policy, but... With where everything's at, man, I don't know. I just don't know what like a, a a plan to put this to right this ship that is clearly taking on water. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't. I don't think there's anything you can do other than live your own life and do your handle your own life in the way that if everybody did it that way, we would 
be successful, which is why, look, you don't have a, you don't have control over what goes on at the federal political level. You have con- you have control over your own personal life. You have control over how you treat people. You have control over your family. You have control over things like that. You can get involved in local politics and, and you can get involved in trying to change your friends' minds. You can get involved in, you know, trying to change uh, your neighbors' minds. You can get involved in lots of different things. I mean, you, streaming on Twitch, one of the reasons I stream on Twitch is because I think that's one way I could potentially help the country, you know? Outstanding answer. Outstanding answer. <laughs> Thank you. Pack, Thank you. you heard it. He just, he, look, <laughs> from lecture fan, right? pretty much saying something that I've already said to these guys and I wanted you to be able to say it and, you, and I feel like maybe you said it a little bit better right so which is what streaming on Twitch oh individual responsibility I thought you were talking Indivi- about streaming on Twitch to save the country <laughs> maybe that's where we're headed right so I don't <laughs> right. know but yeah individual responsibility you know I, t- I tell them the, you know the random act of kindness that right. you show to somebody maybe the difference in, in their whole day like that stuff matters that's oh, the sh- sure. that's the shit that really matters right you know absolutely so anyway right. man I'm gonna let you get, get to sleep so yeah good chat and that was a good one yeah man I liked it a lot so I appreciate you coming by buddy cool talk to you later <laughs>